welcome to Have a Nice Apodcalypse, uh, the Talk Film Society podcast covering the work of one Richard Kelly, and more specifically, the film Southland Tales. Uh, I am Marcelo Pico, one of your co-hosts, and here with me, as always, on this never-ending joyride of a podcast series is Marcus Irving. Hey, Marcus. What is up, Marcelo? What is Hi, up? Hi, everybody. I'm Marcus. Hi, Marcus. I'm Marcelo. Hi, Marcelo. And this is Marking the Marks. Um, uh, <laughs> remember we used to do a wrestling show? We did used to do that, yeah. Yeah. Um, have, have you seen any wrestling uh, recently? <sighs> Very little. I watched like a match that happened on Dynamite two or three weeks ago, and I kind of AEW Dynamite, and I kind of keep up with the movings and goings on slightly, but no, not really. Yeah, it's odd, because you'd think I'd be um, into it now again, because Becky Lynch is back. And and she 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 was the reason why I, I I started watching it really and you Marcus it was both you Marcus Serving and uh, the wrestler Becky Lynch uh, that got me on board with wrestling about two years ago and that's why we did a wrestling show for a while but now I I have no desire to go back anytime soon um but it's it's it, it's been a wild ride hasn't it Marcus uh, for the last two years. <laughs> what? What a long, strange trip it's been. Long, strange trip. We're approaching, I think, the two-year anniversary. Wait, is it two or three years? Oh, my God. I think it's three years. I think it's six, seven years since the book, since uh, Talk Film Society started. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we started. From from when we started the website, it's been about five years. uh, No, no, no. Let Let me be more specific. I think it's been three years since we started podcasting. Uh, together and started a podcast about wrestling. Jeez. Three years. Because I think the Royal Rumble 2019 was the first thing we, we podcasted about. And that was, Marcus? Yeah. Three years yeah. ago, coming up in January. Yeah. Co- yeah. Jeez, you're right. That's yeah. that's crazy. That's crazy to think about. How did we end up doing a Southland Tales podcast? That's a legitimate question. Uh. I'm asking you. I think we both came to the conclusion that <laughs> the wrestling show was done. Uh, we were both kind of getting jaded by some of the choices that were happening in the wrestling world and the pandemic and stuff that uh, neither of us really wanted to watch it anymore. But but like we just like each other too much. We love each other too much. <laughs> we respect each other too much that we were like, we got to keep doing stuff together, man. And. And I, I suggested we just like kind of be real life friends, and you were like, "No, it's got to be on the mic." And so there's no way I talk to anybody brainstorming uh, uh, unless it's for a podcast. There's no way. <laughs> so we started brainstorming podcast ideas because that's that's the only way I that you would talk to me exactly. And so, and so, <laughs> when when we that, when we stop recording these is when I hang up the call. So. I text Marcus, we're going to yeah. do this podcast tonight, right? He goes, yes. As soon as we jump on the call, we start recording, and we jump into it. No side <laughs> chats. Nothing. No talking about our lives. 
just this podcast. When it's done, when we say goodbye, we close the call, close the recording. We don't talk to each other until the next time we record a podcast. Yeah. And I like Marcus well enough to say, hey, let's podcast about something. And not be friends. Let's just podcast. Let's be podcast hosts. Because what's better? Yeah. What's better in the long run, being a friend or being a podcast co-host, Marcus? Because if you, hey, if you have it on record, and this will last forever. Exactly. If if you have it on record that that we have talked to each other multiple times, it makes people think that we were friends, and the image is out there. This 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 episode very much like. You know, cryptocurrency or NFTs will last forever. There's no way yes. that a solar flare will wipe out all the electronics on Earth, re- deleting the existence of this show or NFTs or cryptocurrency. There's no way that's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And we do we do need to encourage you guys to buy into P- to TFS coin. Yeah. <laughs> um, and buy some NFTs. Is <laughs> TF, um, and, and, and and this is a this uh, this episode is very much NFT heavy. There's NFT references all throughout, um, right? And and this episode, I'm being very serious, is an NFT. So if you're listening to it, you own it. <laughs> you uh, 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 by by listening to it, you own this, um, and it's NFT that you can say, hey. Uh, forget that. Forget that. Uh, 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 a portrait of a monkey wearing a hat. I have episode fourteen of Half Nice Apocalypse. Look at this, losers. So there you go. And that's 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 what we want to say in this intro. Okay, folks. That is what we want to say. Yeah, I, I, I I'm really excited that like this is going to go to one person's ears, <laughs> and we're putting all this time and effort into that one person because there's a very special person that's going to make us very rich. And thank you so much to you. I, okay, let me be Sir serious. Let me be serious about this. Do you, <laughs> this is this is actually me being very frank and honest here. If we were to do sort of like. Okay, let's not do an NFT. Okay, th- this is me breaking character. I hate. Okay, good. I, 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 good. <laughs> <laughs> we're never gonna okay, do. Okay, glad. We're never gonna do an NFT. We're never gonna same do page crypto, here. We're, we're not gonna do you know TFS coin whatever. But if we were to say, hey, we're gonna make a special episode for one person, and people will have to bid for that episode, and as soon as they win. They'll get the episode and it'll be theirs. The file, I'll just send the file, and that it's theirs. No, if if they choose to release it and have other people listen to it, that's fine. But it'll be their episode. My question to you is, Marcus, how much can we get from that person? How much is one person willing to pay for an exclusive episode just for just made for them? I can think of like three to five people that could potentially be interested in such a thing. And so I think if maybe I had a shadow account that was like upping the bid, <laughs> um, I think we could get up to 15 bucks, maybe 15 bucks. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was do, you th- do you think it'd be more? The, the real honest number I was thinking about Marcus was 50. That's the highest <laughs> I'd, I'd see somebody pay for it. And I I think fifteen dollars one five would be more accurate actually. <laughs> so this has become a bummer. 
Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. But anyway, Marcus, uh, his uh, his favorite movie is Southland Tales, and I said, sure, let's do a Southland oh, yeah. Tales podcast. Yeah. And that's why we're here. Richard Kelly, my favorite director. Uh, wait, is Richard Southland Kelly really? Tales, my favorite film. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, Southland Tales is your favorite film, but is Richard Kelly really your favorite film director? For the purpose of this show, Richard Kelly is my favorite director. No, yes. no, he, he, no, he, he would yes. be up there for sure. Like he would be up there for sure. But no, he's not my favorite director. He just he, he just doesn't have the body of work. And that's really all it is. It's like he has uh, two fantastic movies and one movie I don't remember being very good that I'll need to revisit. I've heard good things about it since, so maybe it is good. And I just my dumb. Uh, 16 year old brain was just like, oh, duh, 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 dumb. <laughs> so like, maybe, maybe I like it now. I don't know. I, I, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, favorite filmmaker though. No, I, I they gotta have like, maybe if, like, if I, I'm, I, it's not even just quantity thing. It's just like, if all three of his movies were absolute bangers, sure. I could absolutely call him that. But I think like two of them are, and one of them is like, whatever. But again, we'll get to that. Maybe my mind will completely change, and potentially he could rise my ranks even higher. So, favorite filmmaker, you ask Marcelo. Oh boy, when I was a boy, a child, a young child, oh, reading my entertainment weeklies, visiting Box Office Mojo, reading uh, IMDb top two hundred and fifty ranked lists. Oh God! Who really grabbed my goat back then and has stayed with me this whole time? Oh, jeez, this is really hard, Marcelo. Oh my God. Um, I actually think my favorite director. Oh Jesus! God damn it! I think it's. I think it's uh, potentially NFT lover David Lynch. <laughs> no, I think it's. <laughs> You know, Marcus. I mean, there's an argument to be made for Kevin Smith, but we'll talk about that later. I think. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about whenever Kevin our Smith. guest gets here. We do have a great guest coming up. Super uh, great. We will yeah. Not say their name. I'm glad yeah. you brought that up. We have a great guest, uh, and I want to jump in here before you reveal who your favorite director is and say we're covering Chapter Seven of Southland Tales. I'll say this again uh, when we bring in our guest, but yes, Chapter Seven. We're breaking Southland Tales down into twelve chapters. According to the Arrow Blu-ray release, um, something I don't think I'm gonna—I don't think I'll bring up uh, when we get our guest in. But uh, I think it's funny that we started uh, this as an—we uh, were initially going to do a minute-by-minute podcast, and we quickly talked ourselves out of that. Um, but uh, chapters is—is is, turns out it was the best way to go. So uh, I'm going to tell you the time That's codes. The way to go. Uh, before we move on to Marcus's answer, because I know people are on uh, a bend and knee, uh, begging us to reveal that answer. An hour and 12 minutes, 52 seconds, through one hour, 21 minutes, and 59 seconds. So have that queued up. Go rewatch that section of the movie, folks, and we'll get into it in the next segment. But first, now to the thrilling conclusion of Marcus revealing who his favorite director is. You know, just a question like this, it really, it changes by the minute. And at this minute, I'm a little, I'm a little soured by David Lynch's NFT stuff. So I'm not going to say him right now. Oh man. He's but 
you know, I really love PTA. I really love, uh, you know, all those fancy oh, directors wait. that everybody thinks you are like, so cool. Wait, 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 wait. You like PTA? You like Paul Thomas Anderson? I've heard of the man, and he just sounds so cool. So that, you're like, you're okay with a 15-year-old boy d- <laughs> dating a 25-year-old woman. Marcus, you're okay with that? <laughs> You know what? No, that actually sickens me to my core. Okay, and, good. Uh, so we can cross that you for, man off your list. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I, I, I could go with a man with a. I need to go with a man with a spotless track record. Here. Exactly. I gotta, like uh, Tarantino never did anything wrong. Um, yeah, never said anyth- never said a bad thing. Never is never like, accidentally injured an actress on set. Jesus, because Christ. of his own negligence. Never, oh, never took geez. joy in saying the n word in one of his films over and over again. No, 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 no. no. Oh, I could go with. Uh, <laughs> I, could, I could, I could go with. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is a fun game. Bring up a director, and I'll tell you why. We should cancel him. <laughs> and I say him, by the way. I could go with, <laughs> with Zack Snyder. Wait a second. <laughs> Pass. Pass. He wanted to make an, an Ayn Rand adaptation a few years ago. He still wants to make it. He wants to make the Fountainhead. Oh, God. God bless him. Let him do it. I could go with Ben Affleck, who has two really great movies and a half of a good movie. <sighs> he. I don't know if I know any other directors. Uh, can, can I tell you, uh, uh, Steven Spielberg is a good one. Francois Truffaut, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll talk about Steven Spielberg on the show, by the way. Uh, that, you that, know what? My, I think my favorite, like, I think my favorite, like, current, like prolifically working director right now. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I, I think it might be uh, uh, Denis Villeneuve. Ah. Denis Villeneuve. I, I really do. I really do connect to the man's films and I have since I was really young just kind of taking a chance on like going to the indie theater and seeing Enemy. Like I, I think he's really a fascinating filmmaker. That That's a great pick. But I think Get, gets shit on maybe a bit too much, but like the man, he doesn't. I don't. I I have not seen all of his movies. I haven't seen his old movies, like his uh his uh French movies in Canada or whatever. But uh, I need to. I need to because I I just I really I have not disliked a single one of his movies that I've seen. I've seen all of his American movies, I believe. That's actually a very good. And um, actually, it's a it's a it's a very good pick. Because I yeah. can't, for the life of me, think of any reason to uh, say he's a terrible person, um, unless you like you're one of those assholes who got mad at him for saying you should see his movie in a theater. Whatever. I mean, uh, he- oh, you know what? Off the list. Uh- <laughs> no, wait, no. I said don't do that. <laughs> um, but he, he he's a stand-up gentleman. Um, there are other directors who um, have made Oscar-winning movies who uh, 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 are bad people. I'm not going to name who it is, but uh, you can easily Google one director who is making a movie or who was making a movie during the pandemic and got his entire cast and crew 
almost and almost entirely his cast and crew sick because uh, he failed to do COVID uh, uh, precautionary um, steps. So uh, that guy's an asshole. So Google that guy. Um, who's the Who's the guy that directed Powder? Oh, that guy, the child molester. He's bad too. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know his name, but he's bad. Victor Salva. Oh, what a what a disgusting pig. Oh yeah, that guy Salva. <clears throat> Uh, Steven Soderbergh hasn't done anything bad, as far as I know. No, he, he's a good pick for your favorite filmmaker, he is, right? He is or is my, he? He is my favorite filmmaker, Steven Soderbergh. And your favorite second favorite film. is Edgar Wright. Uh, I don't have a second favorite, actually. Oh, I do. I'm a liar. It's David Fincher. Um, but he's an asshole on set. Um, I don't. Yeah. Think, I don't think he's an asshole beyond that. At least I hope not. But, but the man makes the man makes a hell of a film. Yes. So that's my number one and my two, Soderbergh and Fincher. Uh, number three might be. <clears throat> um, three's hard for me to pick. It could be right. Sofia Coppola is up there for me. Oh, I love Coppola. Actually, Coppola might be in my top ten. I, I do love her a lot. Um, but yeah, could have both Coppolas up there. Oh, you know, you know. Hey, here's a controversial take. I I would and I'm I'm afraid even to say it, Marcus. I'm I'm shivering. Um, I'm I'm I, I'm quite. I know that boots. we usually shit on the. T- I, I I know that we usually uh, make fun of people that require this kind of stuff when we're off <laughs> mic, but uh, this is a safe space, Marcel. Yes, uh, you can say whatever you want. Here. I thought you were going to say something else, but I'll I, I won't say it either. Um, get ready, everybody. I think. In, in in my book, if you ask me, according to me, Sofia Coppola is a, a better filmmaker than Francis Ford Coppola. I think, for pure consistency's sake, I think you're probably correct. I don't think she's made anything as great as Apocalypse Now or The Godfather. But like, actually, consistently, she is nailing it. Like I, I, yeah. Or, or how about this? You know what? I may have been wrong in that statement, so I'm, I'm going to backtrack a bit and I'm going to clarify. For me, I think I personally have a, a bigger connection with Sofia Coppola's work than Francis Ford Coppola. There you go. That's I'll, totally fair. I like That's that. Totally fair. I like that can't, phrasing better. I, I, I I'm more eager. Argue. I'm more eager and I get more excited about a Sofia Coppola movie past and present and future than a Francis Ford Coppola movie. Even though I yeah, think they're both frankly, like... so am I. And they're both like in my top ten. If I really have to like uh, make a list, I think they're both up there. But, you know, I think Sofia is just a notch above only because, again, personal reasons. And I think uh, I think she makes just more more films I easily connect with emotionally. So there you go. Somewhere, just a beautiful thing. I love Somewhere. I, I wrote a piece on Somewhere on the website Neon Splatter this past year. Starring um, uh, Blue Cigarette's own uh, Stephen Dorff. <laughs> and uh, uh, Ellie Fanning, right? She, she's in that? She's very good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when are we going to do the Sofia Coppola podcast? Is that going to be after the Southland Tales podcast? Uh, it could be next. could be next. Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, we're definitely the two that should be doing that. So, uh, <laughs> Two men, two disgusting, greasy men talking about Sofia Coppola's work. I can't wait. I can't wait to dive into that. Um, All right. Okay, we got to do one thing before we move on. Oh, two things, actually. Marcus, what are you drinking? 
I'm currently sipping on some Fairway branded water. Hell yeah, buddy. I'm drinking some mineral water from my local H-E-B store called 1877. Heb. Yes, Heb. Come on down. You'll have a Heb of a time. I'm sure I said their slogan. I'm sure I've said this before, but um, H-E-B, the B stands for butts. Because Butts is the name of one of the owners, uh, one of the founders of H-E-B. So, fun fact. Huh. Let's move on. One more thing. Um, I forgot to do this uh, in yeah. Chapter 6. Yeah. And... We, we, we failed you a few episodes ago. This yes. Is, this is our trying to make good for it. And don't worry, because this is not... This... The, okay. Don't worry because this is this is the first time and won't be the last time we were doing this. <laughs> um, I forgot to read the lyrics of one of the songs uh, we covered in chapter six. We're doing chapter seven this episode, but I want to go back to chapter six. I did read the lyrics for "Wave of Mutilation" for in chapter six, and I was going to read. I said I was going to do uh, the lyrics <clears throat> for the the other song that's featured in that chapter, "Muse." Uh, Blackout the song by Muse called Blackout and um, I didn't do it then I'm going to do it now so here we go Marcus are you ready? I imagine this plays when uh, Boxer's getting in the car to take off from the Frost Estate imagine if you remember our our describing it it was a very rainy evening uh, rain, lightning, thunder, all that just imagine that in the background here imagine that okay so here we go get in the mood for it Don't kid yourself, and don't fool yourself. Don't Th- Marcus? Marcus? kid yourself, and don't fool yourself. This love's too good to last, and I'm too old to dream. Don't this grow up. This love's too good to last, and I'm too old to dream. <laughs> don't grow up too fast, and don't embrace <clears throat> the past. Don't grow up too fast. And don't embrace the past. This life's too good to last, and I'm too young to care. This life's too good to last, and I'm too young to care. Don't kid yourself and don't fool yourself. Don't kid yourself and don't fool yourself. This life could be the last and we're too young to see. This life could be the last, and we're too young to see. 
Now, what do we think this means? <clears throat> um, I think it's, um, uh, you know, like the fir- the first verse. We can say that uh, uh, that uh, that's a man who's. Uh, Thinking back and saying, uh, you know, life is waste. Uh, uh, youth is wasted on the young. They're they're too they're too young to to know what what uh, what what uh, what's going on. What what the preciousness of life. But then, uh, in the second verse, you would think it would be like, well, I'm I'm older and wiser. But no, it's actually saying like, um, you're too old. You're uh, like uh, once you get too old, you kind of get jaded, um, and. Uh, it's kind of admonishing people like uh, don't don't embrace the past. Uh, you you got to look to the future, but uh, like that's at odds with our our political landscape. It's a bunch of eighty year olds telling us that we uh, should not advance anything at all, and uh, and perhaps uh, maybe the youth of our world aren't doing enough to uh, change things about that. Well, but who could blame them? That's a much better take Having than too much fun. That's a much better take than what I was gonna say. I just thought, oh, this is just a cheesy love song, and it's um, it's uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, um, but no, uh, the fact that this sorta is like a love song playing over the scene, uh, the end of the scene where we saw, um, uh, uh, <laughs> Sarah Michelle Gellar's character and The Rock's character. Kind of part ways, right? I mean, yeah you 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 just heard the clips we played from the song. Like the guy's a beautiful singer, yeah, um, and uh, he and does it really well. There may be some distortion with those clips, you know, because you know I may have exported them in the wrong sample size, and the bit rate may be off, you know. But those are those that was actually that was a clip from the movie. That's what you heard when you saw the movie. Mm-hmm. Is you're in the rain. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I may have put some noise filters on there to like take away the ambient sound of the rain, <laughs> um, and you know the the sound of the rock driving away, and you could only hear. We're also using, yeah, like the isolated vocals, which you can only get if the song was like in rock band or something, because exactly. they had to isolate the vocals the, for those songs. The 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 stems, as the kids say. You know, I, I I could mix that with uh, you know Britney Spears "Toxic" and and have like a cool TikTok, uh, uh, a viral video with that. But I'm not going to do that because again, integrity. Uh, but yeah, so <clears throat> I think that's enough. I think we broke down that song. I think we 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 gave that enough airtime. Uh, um, I had a nuanced take, and you said it's just a dumb love song. Um, I think that, I think that's good. That's the show. That's the show right there, folks. <laughs> one of us says some, one of us says something smart. The other one just like belittles the other one for saying that. Um, and, and the great thing is that that person flip flops all the time. Yeah, you don't know, <clears throat> unpredictable. You don't know exactly who's going to say what and 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 uh, who's going to be the asshole in that situation. <clears throat> it's a surprise. One second time. I'm good cop, and uh, the next second I'm shooting the guy unarmed. And one second. Marcus is uh, the the bad cop, and then I'm the dumb cop. <laughs> I didn't say it. You said it. No, uh, no, no. But but you believe it. Um, so <laughs> there you go. Um, that's going to be our future segment of like things we missed and things we should have said in the last episode. We're doing it in the intro. All the things you said, all the things you said, running through my head, running through my head, running through my head. All the things you said, all the things you said, running through my head, running through my head. This is not 
enough. I got a question for you, Mark. I don't don't know why I did that. Where would you put that song in Southland Tales? You know what? It doesn't not fit. Yeah. It it could be like overlaid in the background of the porno scene. Who? Okay. Who sang that? All the things you said. Tattoo. Oh, yes. Tattoo. We are definitely saying that the tattoo song, all the things you said, uh, not only could it, could it have been in South Antilles, I'm going to say it should have been. Oh, wow. Strong yeah. statement. Yeah, that that's big, right? Where And where would you have put it? Because I, I said I would put it in the background of like, like lay it, lay it deep in the background of the, of the, of the porn stars talking on the beach. Where would you put it? Here's where I, here's where I'd put it. Uh, take out wave emulation and put that instead. <laughs> <laughs> now, <laughs> now, now, what I'm gonna do? Now, what I'm gonna do as soon as we hang up the call uh, is I'm gonna go to that scene and open up my Adobe Premiere Pro and make that cut. <laughs> make that uh, alternate cut and just lay lay down that track underneath that moment i would like to see i honestly it doesn't sound bad it doesn't sound like this movie but it's but it does sound like a movie like that's an interesting choice honestly like i really like i really like when a movie will do something like that where they'll set this crazy moment to like a just a pop song like uh, and you know, yeah you know what now i'm gonna take that back a little i'm gonna reel that in it's been done a lot with like marvel movies kind of or like suicide squad and shit like that but like it, it, a, a well done way of doing it i like that and it's it, it uh, for me it's not too far out of the realm of possibility with richard kelly because actually something that i will not be saying in the next segment when we talk about chapter seven is a song heavily featured in that segment richard kelly was a fan of uh and it was a popular song yeah. at the time and he, he was listening to you know pop music uh this popular track and he said hey i'll put it in because mm-hmm. everybody likes this track i like this track why not and i'm sure richard kelly being the outstanding citizen that he is i'm sure he's a fan of all the things she said, and I'm sure he would have said, "You know what? Um, uh, 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 maybe he thought I should put it in, but there's no room for it. Maybe he, if he were to, if he, if he were to make the prequel, you know, series that he's been wanting to make for a decade, I'm sure one of the tracks featured will be all the things she said." That's right. <laughs> And with that, folks, I think that's it, Marcus. I think we've covered it. Yep. I am uh, reading something else right now. (laughs) Marcus has gotten so bored, he's reading something else. He's reading a book. (laughs) He's cracked open. I'm I'm reading Moby Dick. (laughs) Um, So please enjoy our guests and and us uh, discussing Chapter 7 of Southland Tales. Um, After this, Moby Break. And we're back. Hey, 
hope you all enjoyed hey. that Moby. Uh, Moby, Moby, Moby. We should have a Moby segment on each and every show. We, one thing we didn't do last time was, uh, Marcus, we didn't ask uh, our, our past guest, uh, Sarah Sorrentino. I know. That's been killing me, too. We didn't yeah. ask her about Moby, because we always ask our guests about Moby. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, or just the music of the movie in general. We didn't do that. That, yeah. that was a big mistake, I think. Huge. Biggest mistake of our lives. We we have to bring Sarah back. <laughs> We got to bring Sarah back and and get her to talk about just the music. We have we have to do a Moby episode. Marcus has a bonus episode, a Moby mm-hmm. Mobisode. We have to do a Mobisode. Mobisode. Uh, but speaking of uh, Sorrentino, Marcus, before we introduce our guest, speaking of introductions and Sarah Sorrentino, I actually re-listened to that part of that episode um, uh, where you messed up Sarah Sorrentino's name. Um, uh, it's the hardest I've ever laughed on a podcast episode. I think. Uh, and I, I want to ask you this, and please be honest, Marcus. Did you do that on purpose? No, I did not. You did not. Okay, because I, I did not. I thought that was a genuine accident. I thought about that because you called her Sarantino, right? And it's the same yeah. mistake I did uh, when I, uh, uh, I think it was at the end of the podcast she was on with me, where we went through her top twenty-five of all time, and I accidentally called her Sarah Sarantino. <laughs> Um, but I, I thought for a second you may have listened to that and you wanted to do that joke in your intro. But no, that was I, a legitimate thing, right? I did. Uh, I did hear that episode. Maybe it was subconsciously in my brain oh, somewhere. But no, that was not an on purpose kind of joke. An inception thing. I, I've never done it before. It just came out of nowhere. <clears throat> okay. And I bring that up only to uh, pressure you to get this one right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so here we go. We're gonna intro the guest for this episode. We're going we're gonna be talking about chapter seven. Okay, Marcus, take mm-hmm. it away. Okay, folks. Our illustrious guest started the hit podcast Double Edge Double Bill, which pairs up two films in a titular double bill, and then rose to prominence as a staff writer for the film criticism monolith that is Film Cred. He also infamously attended the same film noir class as a noted film noir expert and our past guest. Um, Sarah Sarantino. <laughs> He's also the guy who kept screaming at his phone during one of our last episodes when Marcelo couldn't remember which Terrence Malick film featured a loving shot of a Sonic drive-in theaters. <clears throat> it was a drive-in restaurant. It was to the wonder. Please let us see your ticket stubs. He's got soul, but he's not a soldier. Thomas Mariani. Yeah, hey, you pronounce it right. Hey, Mamma yeah. mia, yeah, the Italiano. <laughs> honorary. Honorary, Marcus. <laughs> oh, okay, let's get, thank you. let's get this Italian jokes out of the way right now. Um, but hey, Thomas, thank you for joining us on this. Thanks for, for being roped into this. Um, uh, happy you're here. Yes, yes. So I do want to issue a correction that I even got wrong. It'll be on an upcoming episode of our show where we had Sarah on. I thought I was in the same class with her for film noir. Oh, it turns no. out I just took that same class from the same teacher, but at a different point. Oh. I did take a Hitchcock class oh, no. with her uh, so from the same teacher at the same time. Yeah, but so she even corrects me on the episode, so you can hear that on an upcoming one. We we, we got to get into this, Thomas, because it's 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 your origin story of why you're here. Okay, so. Yes. Let's let's take it back to like uh, I forget when like two weeks ago I don't know when when, when I was on your uh, podcast Thomas but 
I was on your podcast talking about good old Stevie Spielberg. And at the end of that recording... He's a little known director. You might know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marcus, do you, know, do you know Spielberg? I I only know him because I listened to that episode. Oh, um, nice to hear. It sounds like an interesting guy. Yeah, yeah. He, he's super cool. Um, so you know, everyone knows 1941 and always his most important film. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Um, so at the end of that episode, uh, uh, Thomas brings up film credit, and I go, "Oh, I forgot to plug Sarah's uh, podcast sequels because I edit that, and we're talking about Sarah and uh, how she's gonna, she was going to be the next guest on uh, Thomas's show." Um, and I go, oh, that's funny because we just had her on 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 our show, on on Marcus and I show, on this show, uh, where she was, you know, the anointed uh, film noir expert. And then Thomas, you brought up the fact that, which is now a wrong fact, that uh, you were in the same class as her uh, in that film noir class. Um, yeah, and then and then in that same conversation, I was like, hey, be on the show, and you're like, okay, fine. Um, but yeah, that's the origin. Of that, and again, well, you're forgetting the crucial part of that, which, which is, is when you t- told me that, like, oh, Sarah's I was a guest on our show. Uh, that's about Richard Kelly, and I'm like, what well, you did? A, you're doing a podcast on Richard Kelly movies. It's like that's a, a short ass show, then, right? like <laughs> three, maybe four movies. <laughs> yeah, and 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 Marcus, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to turn to you now. Uh, how do we end up doing what, like, 14 episodes of this now, Marcus? <clears throat> yeah, so uh, we've done two episodes about Donnie Darko. Uh, we've done two episodes about Domino, the film that he wrote for uh, Tony Scott. And uh, we are on our ninth episode about Southland Tales, which is like the, the crux of this whole thing. It was originally just a Southland Tales show, and it has turned into a Richard Kelly retrospective plus a Southland Tales show. Yeah, so... And, uh, I- you know, we'll be talking about the box later. <laughs> I, have a, I have a crucial question about this. So, yeah, you have the box. You'd probably do two because you do like... A regular like breakdown and then a commentary. Yes. After that, exactly I know you've right. pitched like you might be doing some like bonus episodes. My question is, would you potentially do the three episodes, uh, the three movies that Kelly produced, oh, but no. doesn't have like a writer or director credit on? I don't even know what I, those would be, Marcus. I do you, don't think I know okay. what these are. Here's I, the thing. I, 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 I looked this up because I was doing my research. This is fascinating. So. There's one that I think is a great movie, which is World's Greatest Dad, the Robin Williams. Oh, Bob oh, yes, 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 yes. Which that. he produced that movie. Yeah. He also produced. It's this weird movie called Operation Endgame, which I only know because it's this weird mm-hmm. like action comedy that has like Rob Corddry and Zach Galifianakis and like a bunch of big comedians of that time. I think that's the most recent movie he's produced. But then the one that I think would make you guys not want to do this idea is he also <laughs> produced the um. The movie uh, "Do They Serve Beer, Beer in Hell," which is the Tucker Max movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna right. <laughs> I, I'm gonna jump in here and say, I mean, I mean, Thomas. Uh, I mean, you've listened to our show, right? And um, and you're also a patron for Talk from Society, which thank you. Um, yes. yes. Uh, uh, I mean, you may or may not know what Marcus and I tend to dive into. Uh, we're actually we actually need to record a Paul Blart Ma Cop two commentary soon. So, you did tease this just on one of the episodes I listened to. Which yes, yes, fascinating. yes. yes. Um, so we like to get in the garbage. We like to dig in the trash. We're 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 we're, we're two feisty rats here on uh, <laughs> I'll talk from society. Um, so I'm already sold. I want to do this, uh, Marcus. What do you think? 
Oh, absolutely. That that is either one episode or six episodes. Depending no, oh, okay, on, uh, I'm gonna I'm feel. gonna stop us here. <laughs> Maybe I get, do a commentary on the Tucker Max movie. No, okay, I'm gonna stop us here and just it's gonna be one episode covering those three movies. I refuse to do anything else. <laughs> it seems like a Look, lot. I would be willing to come on that just to talk about World's Greatest Dad if you will allow me back. I love that movie, and those other two sound at least interesting. <laughs> Well, we shall see, won't we? This is a this is we this is see. a this is a test run. We'll see how you do. This is my audition. Yes. Yeah. God, I hope I get it. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, I've already said Sarah needs to come back on. So, uh, uh, you know, who? It's now a fight to see who's going to be their first return guest. Somebody who wants to be on, who's just said they want to be on, or Sarah who <laughs> refuses to talk to me anymore. Um, so, um, Marcus, do you have a question yeah. for our guest? Yeah, so our first interview question for your next episode, I suppose, is uh, how, how do you feel, Thomas, about uh, the man, Richard Kelly? Have you seen Donnie Darko? Have you seen Southland Tales? <laughs> Have you seen the box? I would hope... No, what, the Southland Tales? Am I would I hope supposed you, to watch them? Okay, I would, I would hope you have seen one of those, at least. <laughs> how do you feel um, about I mean, this man and his work? Richard Kelly I find fascinating, because when I was younger, I did watch Donnie Darko. That was the first one, obviously, I saw because I'd heard all this sort of cult appraise. I think it was around the time the director's cut came out on, like, DVD. And I'd heard such mixed things of, like, oh, it improves everything, or people were like, it's fucking terrible, it's the worst. And I was like, okay, I'll watch this. And I watched the director's cut the first time, which was very interesting. I remember loving the movie at that point. And then I got more into him when a big part of I guess this movie he's included, even though he's not a part of our section. And I guess I should get up on my podium right now. Um, hello, everyone. I'm Thomas, and I'm a recovering Kevin Smith fan. Oh, this is perfect. <laughs> right there with you, buddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. Right. Marcus so, is. Obviously, yeah. Right. You intimated that from the earlier episodes I listened to, that Marcus was also a fan. And that's why I found out about Southland Tales, because Smith was such a big cheerleader of Kelly. One thing, no matter what you can say about his actual movies, the man like knows what he likes, and he likes to spotlight that as much as possible. To the point where I think it was around, like it was a year after the box, he did this podcast on his Smodcast Network thing called Smoothie Makers, which was a show where he interviewed like other filmmakers, and he interviewed Richard Kelly, which I found so fascinating. But anyway, the, the whole mystique around Southland Tales, I found it because he's in the movie, obviously, and he was talking about how like it's weird, it's visionary, it's great. And he was at the same con film festival as Southland Tales for Clerks 2, I believe. Um, that was like at the same exact festival. And so I ended up watching Southland Tales later, and I loathed it so much. I was like in high school at that point. I was like, this is dumb. This is like, had so many stupid ideas that it's trying to do. And it's all just like a failure piece of shit awful movie. But it's fascinating. Even then, I was really fascinated, especially by a moment we'll talk about in the actual section that we're covering. And then I also watched the box and I'm like, well, I like this a bit better, but this is still really weird. <laughs> and then, yeah, he didn't make anything else. And I was always fascinated about like, I should revisit some of his movies. Maybe I should look back. And over the course of like ever since around about a year ago, when I rewatched Donnie Darko for the first time in a while, um, I've gone back to his movies and I don't love that one as much as I did previously. And especially with Southland Tales in the Box, I like them a lot more than I did previously. But mm -hmm. at the same time, Kelly's just this interesting figure where like, he almost feels as if, like, 
right now you have a lot of people like the Duffer Brothers create Stranger Things, right? And that's a new thing that still references a lot of older material that like is more recognizable to people. Like, oh yeah, Ghostbusters and the Goonies and whatever other fucking bullshit that Amblin produced. Uh, that I also grew up and love those movies. But with Richard Kelly, he feels like kind of do he's doing something similar with a lot of his movies where he's referencing a lot of like '80s and '90s pop culture material, but all the stuff that would never become a Funko Pop right now. <laughs> Because, like, with South Tales especially, I see a lot of Terry Gilliam, I see a lot of David Lynch, and I see a lot of Tony Scott. Obviously, he wrote a Tony Scott movie. And, like, those are three where, like, some of those people had success, particularly, like, a Tony Scott. But, like, that's not stuff that would, like, have as much pop culture problems as these other movies. But I think Kelly manages to do that kind of, like, Stranger Things pastiche thing, but actually apply it to modern sensibilities, particularly with South Tales. He has a very fascinating job with that. So... I like a lot of what Richard Kelly does, and especially now in like a modern blockbuster landscape where everything's homogenized and we see mostly just kind of drivel, sometimes good drivel. I'll eat that drivel sometimes, sometimes bad drivel. I do kind of wish that like we could at least have like a couple like Richard Kelly's or other people who stop making movies come back and do just something weird and out there and interesting that I might not like, but I would at least be fascinated by. See, it's, right. it's interesting. Marcus, go ahead. No, no. Uh, yeah, no? You, you say your thing. No, okay, I'll say my thing now. Uh, this is the kind of energy we have, Thomas, Marcus, and I. Um, <laughs> the the I, liberations, just like, <laughs> how do we address this motherfucker after this long <laughs> rant he did? Because, <laughs> like, I, I, I was interested in, uh, on your take on South End Tales, and we can move on to South End Tales specifically, because uh, you, w- when I first talked to you about this, uh, when I roped you into this thing, you're like, yeah, it's it's been years since you've seen it, and you didn't like it the first time. And I was like, huh, like I would be interested in your take now if you did end up not liking it, because I don't think we've had like a very contrarian take uh, from a guest on the show yet. But it seems like you just said you like it more now than before, right? Yes, I would say I like it much more in that, like, if you had asked me in 2007 when I rented this off iTunes and watched on my like big ass 160 gig iPod that I hooked up to the TV. <laughs> um, I would have said, "Oh, this is one of my least favorite movies. I hate it so much." Now, I don't love it necessarily. I still think like this movie's just a lot. <laughs> Quite frankly, just there's so much going on that even at a certain point, when like I got to when I was rewatching the whole movie and I got past the section we're going to talk about here, um, I did have to like have myself an intermission. I took my dog outside, and I just pondered out into the, the moonlight, and I'm like, okay, I gotta process all this. It felt like a computer that had too many programs open, and I was just like, I gotta, like, fucking shut down for, like, a solid 15 minutes and just mm-hmm. process all this. And then I went back to the movie after that point. So I think there's so much going on that I respect. It kind of equate to, like, the Matrix sequels, which I had a similar thing where I hated them the first time, and revisiting especially very recently in preparation for Matrix Resurrections. I'm like, there's a lot going on here that I really, really, really like and I respect, but there's also like so much that it just overblows my PCU, basically. I love that you brought up the Matrix sequels. Again, it's something uh, I never connected with South End Tales. And it's- yeah, yeah. Marcus, now it's I, your I turn never to talk. To the Matrix sequ- <laughs> I never connected the Matrix sequels to it. I've also never uh, connected. Um, 
your like uh, kind of eighties pastiche to this movie specifically. I mean, it's it's like obviously that, that's where Donnie Darko is set, but I, I still don't get that much. Uh, I don't know nostalgic vibes from it or anything through well, well, no, I, Kelly's eyes. Right. If I can elaborate, it's not necessarily nostalgia. That's what I like about Kelly compared to like some of these more like a Ghostbusters right. Afterlife. Sure, Ghostbusters sure, Afterlife sure. is reverential to these movies, and you can tell that like he likes those earlier movies. I think particularly the one I'm squaring in on is like a Terry Gilliam, which you know that dude's done stupid bullshit recently. Fuck what he says. But I loved his movies so much, especially growing up, because he weaves a lot of similar things, like the satire. Like I watch this movie and I think of like a Brazil. Or an Adventures of Baron Munchausen, or even like a Time Bandits, where just like so much is going through. It feels like a movie made by like an animator or somebody who has worked in some kind of animation, or like a Terry Gilliam in that particular case, where it's just like there are so many ideas pouring out, and he is just putting them all on the screen. It's like a kitchen sink movie. So I think it's more that he captures that spirit of people like him or Tony Scott or David Lynch rather sure, than okay. like just blatantly copy them. If if that elaborates that further. Sure. Yeah, it, de- it definitely does. It definitely does. Uh, Marcelo, um, I assume you're a more cultured man than I. Uh, you've seen Brazil. Can you can you back this up? Uh, yeah, the uh, Thomas is correct. There are uh, uh, inherent Brazil vibes in this. Yes. Like um, like a big. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, behind the scenes system trying to trying to control people, uh, puppeteering, and and just like a bleak ending. Uh, yeah, it, it, Brazil vibes all around. Uh, and and yeah, and I'm not like the biggest Terry Gilliam fan. I just want to say, I don't know why I'm bringing this up. I just, I mean, sure, I love Brazil, but beyond that, I'm not a huge Time Bandits fan. Uh, I'm not a huge. What, what, what's that Johnny Depp one he did? Uh, I mean, That's the only one I've seen. Uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Vegas. Yeah, I, I mean. I'm, oh no, no. Uh, oh, I the, was thinking of the other Johnny Depp one. What's the other Johnny Depp one? Well, there's the one te- there was almost the, the man who killed Don Quixote, oh, um, which he almost did with him. But then, yeah, he like you mentioned, Imag- Imagining of Doctor Parnassus, which yeah. Johnny Depp has a brief cameo in. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, Brazil is amazing. That's the only one I really love of uh, Terry Gilliam, and you should see Brazil. Uh, Marcus, I should see a lot of things, Marcelo. <laughs> should, should we do just a spin-off? I'm too podcast? busy watching Southland Tales. No, we're just gonna keep talking about this one movie until I die. <laughs> Never gonna see any of this stuff. Oh, uh, um, okay. So now South. Let's keep talking about Southland Tales because I want to go back to oh, that. Yeah. I want to go back. <laughs> Let's keep talking about what well, we're actually, here to talk about. Actually, can I can I have a brief detour? I wanted to bring this up in reference to a oh, previous episode you did. Yes, I, well, I'm still I tangentially okay. on the Kevin Smith track. I made a note of it. Good to go. Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing right. this up. Yeah, and Marcus doesn't know this. Marcus is going to get ambushed by this. Uh, oh no! Oh, here we God. go. Okay. Oh God! What's so, happening? A couple episodes ago, uh, previously on Have a Nice Apocalypse, um, you referenced <laughs> the uh, Scream Three thing, Marcus. You randomly brought that up. For, for some reason, in the middle of, the, I think, the 12th episode of this show. And the whole time you were, I was listening to the word, if you, if you all don't remember, there's a whole point in Scream 3 where Jay and Silent Bob appear and try and hit on the Courtney Cox character, and she gives them the middle finger and all that. Mm-hmm. And you all, you were so upset because it's like, why is why are these two fictional characters in Scream 3 in this universe? Why is that, that making that sense? That was Marcella. Marcella was upset. <laughs> yeah. Well, Marcella was upset. That was, right, as opposed to, I you know, Marcus not. is like a reasonable not. human being who was no. just like, I don't know, it's a Marcus, joke Marcus, they did. It's, it's one of those runs where I was upset and just screaming at Marcus for no reason, and Marcus just took it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Uh, right, yes, I've experienced this firsthand when you've been on my show. There's just points. It's like, yeah, let him go. Let him do it. But wait, what? Um, with right, that, no, no, keep going. Just, <laughs> uh, but you all referenced uh, that idea of uh, the, the Scream 3 thing. And you, at one point, mentioned, it's like, oh, I guess like the way we can just kind of tie this in a bow is that that's actually Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. And they're like on the set filming Jane and Silent Bob Strike Back, uh, which was around the same time. But my wrinkle in this theory is the fact that in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, there was a moment where they're walking around on the Miramax set <laughs> or whatever. And there's a bit where they suddenly ran into a production that's being filmed of the fictional Scream 4, which features Shannon Doherty unmasking Ghostface <laughs> to reveal a monkey. And then going over to Wes Craven, like, why a fucking monkey? Like, look, they love their marketing research. That's what people want. And then Jay and Silent Bob steal the monkey at that point. So, a oh, massive okay. wrinkle, which I think adds more credence to Marcus's kind of half-joking theory. Of like, I don't know, it was a dimensional rift. I think there was a legit dimensional rift of some sort, similar to Southland Tales, that led to Jay and Silent Bob being both on this set, <laughs> where Stab 3 is happening, but also Scream 4 is being filmed. Okay. Now, okay, I don't want to rehash this completely, because I, I, could, I could feel myself doing that right now. I could feel myself <laughs> relitigating this, okay, and I'm going to right now. So my problem was, for those who didn't listen to that episode, the, this kernel of a, of a problem with me started when I was rewatching Scream and noticed a VHS tape of Clerks uh, uh, in a shot in Scream 1, okay? And then cut to Scream 3... Jane Silent Bob or whoever those people were were in that scene with Courtney Cox, right? And now I'm finding out, or I'm remembering because I haven't seen this in a long time. You said Thomas that that scene when they go on to scream the set of Scream Four. That was yes. in, in what in what movie was that? Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Yes. Okay. Yeah. This throws a wrench in everything now because <laughs> I think I think I just closed that that loop by saying in that episode just like okay maybe it was just you know like these characters showing up and it makes no sense and i don't know i I try to wrap my head around that but now you throw a wrench into this and yes i'm upset even more now it doesn't make sense at all (laughs) i I, (laughs) so thanks for nothing thomas (laughs) now 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 i think i need to see i need to rewatch james on the bob strike back which I had no inkling of doing, and now I need to. I need to correct this, uh, Marcus. What do you have to say about this? I uh, I think that I heard Thomas say that my theory might be correct, so I'm going to stick to that one. <laughs> so uh, well, thank you, Thomas. Else, uh, I feel like that's appropriate. <laughs> I feel like it's appropriate for the show because Marcus had his closed loop. Just like look, this whole. I'm sorry that um, Marcelo had this closed loop. That everything works out. Everything's fine. And then I opened a giant dimensional wormhole, and thus now, Jay and Silent Bob and Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith existing within these weird same realities are like the Sean William Scott twins. Yeah, okay. In this movie, it's just a whole yeah. new wormhole has opened up, and this is what causes the apocalypse. It doesn't end. The world doesn't end with a bang. It ends with us snoochie boochies. Okay, you know what? <laughs> I'll take that because I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past. Uh, uh, Kevin Smith to to do that sort of thing where, oh, I don't know. Wait, but that was before Southland Tales. What if Richard Kelly saw both of those scenes and thought to himself, "Huh, doubles, huh?" In the same parallel universe. Hmm. Then he wrote Southland Tales after that. You know what? 
And he's like, I need to cast one of these guys as an army then? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, now, that's my new headcanon. So, uh, Richard Cayley came up with South Santos after watching both those scenes in uh, Scream 3 and Jane Slump Bob Strike Back. Thank you, Thomas. Ugh. I'm I can, I can, my work here is done. I can sleep well tonight. Oh, and you also sent over. I oh you and you mentioned it earlier, but I uh, uh, I did not have a chance to listen to that episode with uh, Kevin Smith and uh, Richard Kelly. And when I sent it to Marcus, Marcus, you said you you remembered that, didn't you? Yes, I I I remembered that this was a thing that existed. I remember this was a thing I had listened to, and then I started listening to it, and I listened to the whole thing. I <laughs> I didn't know that. I remembered like everything that was being said. I I, I believe this is one of those po- like early in podcasting days where maybe the amount of podcasts were not so huge, and the podcasts that I still like from back then don't have. 900 episodes and it's hard to even keep up with them anymore i uh i, I would kind of just re-listen to podcasts over and over and i think that was probably one of them and i don't know if it's like i, I knew oh donnie darko guys halfland tales guy yeah this is fun and i liked the conversation but like as they were saying things like it was like always popping back into my memory like oh yeah i remember they said that i remember they said that it was really fun to listen to i, I don't think i ever would have thought about to uh, thought to look for it especially since it's like not even on iTunes anymore. You had to send me like an archive link to it somewhere. Uh, by which I mean, uh, I did not send them anything because that is behind a paywall for Mr. Kevin Smith and his fans. Oh, uh, so yeah, I don't know yeah. what we, they're we talking paid about. Kevin Smith. I, uh, here, here's what happened. I, whatever yeah, I, I, I gave Kevin Smith an NFT and he gave me that in return. <laughs> so that's what happened, folks. Um, was it of his hot wife or something? Yeah, it's like, oh, my no, wife it's, looks hot. Go ahead. It's, it's that tweet of um, yeah, exactly. Oh, Marcus. It's a tweet. It's the NFT of that tweet. Yes, where he goes. I've been with this woman for ten years, and I still jizz and whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. I I, I want to touch on this again. This is all related to South Antilles because Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith is in this movie. Thomas, you said earlier that you're. I don't know what phrase you said, but a recovering kevin smith fan or uh, yeah right yes i'm in i'm in aa and sometimes i relapse and i watch like yoga hosers or something I'm like oh why did i do this, this yeah. is such a bad idea i, I want to ask because i'm i'm kind of in the same boat too i mean i i was a huge kevin smith fan for a split second there but then i fell off i, mm-hmm. I, I this can be my question and i'm gonna answer it first then i'll toss it to you thomas but uh, i know exactly when i got off the kevin smith train and i said you know what i'm done with this guy for the most part. I still, again, I still come around, not come around, I still see maybe a new movie of his to see if he still has it, but it hasn't happened lately. Um, I jumped off when he did that whole Red State thing. Uh, when he when he, when he went to like that film festival and he sold Red State to himself for a dollar. And I saw that movie and it was garbage. Um, that's when I said, okay, I'm pretty much done. Uh, is there a moment like that for you, Thomas, where you just said, you know what? I'm done with Smith. Um, I mean, it was a bit more gradual than that. Like, with a lot of things that I've become too obsessed with, because I was a big Kevin Smith fan ever since I was, like, 13, and I watched Dogma on Comedy Central, very censored. <laughs> like, I was too deep to a certain point. And then I think it was around Tusk 
I think ah, Tusk yes. was the one where I really started really because I felt like, oh, this is going to be something very different for him. I had liked Red State. I still think Red State's one of his better movies recently, which isn't yeah. saying a lot. Um, but I by like Tusk, I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Also, it's like I love that that movie is also like the A24 movie they don't talk about. We're just like, they have all these acclaimed movies, and they're just like, yeah, we did that. We were young and confused. We did a lot of strange things back then. And I remember watching that, and I took my friends to a theater to see it, because I was like kind of curious. I was like, oh, man, I listened to the podcast where he pitched it and all this other stuff. I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be so interesting. And it really was just like a man, what am I doing with my This is like Justin Timberlake putting <laughs> beer on his head and then being like, yeah, this is fun, right? And I'm like, oh, no, this isn't. What am I doing? <laughs> Yeah, it's happening here. That's totally what it was. I'm I'm kind of around that same time frame, mm-hmm. but like I I drove way out of my way to go to the only theater where Tusk was playing, and I went with my mother, who is also a Kevin Smith fan, and we both liked it. But I think that movie kind of has a. Uh, just kind of is a microcosm of like why I don't like current Kevin Smith stuff and necessarily, or even really the man himself anymore is the ringtone that Michael Parks is uh, scary. Yes. I know exactly what you're about to say. <laughs> the fu- His fucking ringtone. Oh no, that just, uh, it's Justin, uh, Justin, Long's uh, Long, Long, yeah, Justin yeah. Long's uh, phone. His ringtone is the, it's one of the songs that Ralph Garman and Ralph Garman sings during it for one of their segments on Hollywood Babylon, which right, yes. is a podcast I used to like a lot. And now it's goddamn unlistenable. They're still doing the exact same stuff, whatever, eight, 10 years later. And it, it's just, it makes no sense. It is kind of feeding into his own audience too much. It's, it's not funny in the movie. It's so out of place. Um, it's just like a weird little wink to fans. And then I think he just kept doing that and has like become only that. Like uh, Yoga Hosers, again, I thought it was fine and I did not hate it. Like it's, it's, it's whatever. It's, it's cool that he, his daughter, he got his daughter to star in a movie. Like that's dope. And, but then Jane Silent Bob reboot or whatever, like that should be fucking catnip for me. I grew up loving these characters. Like it has the chasing Amy characters. My one of my favorite movies ever. And I couldn't make it even halfway through it. Cause it's just, it's just, uh, he's up his own ass too much. And then he's, he puts up Kilroy was here, his stupid horror movie. That's going to be an NFT or something. I don't know where that's at. It's just, he's become too annoying of a man to follow anymore. I think. And I, I'll see clerks three when he gets that done. I'll see whatever else he, I'll attempt whatever else he does, but I'm not, I'm really not on his side anymore. Marcus, I can't tell you how much you've become like a, a kindred spirit to me. In this moment. <laughs> I, I feel so much of what you're saying to the point where I'm just like, especially the, the thing you're talking about with the Tusk thing, it's even worse where it's like, that was a fan remix of a thing that oh, Ralph Garm did, yeah. just like an impression of Al Pacino saying more margaritas. And so he implements it just like, oh, this is a fan tribute to me I'm implementing into my own film. Yeah. And thus it's a recursive like, masturbatory circle jerk yeah. kind of thing that I'm just like I, I don't need to be involved you guys can have fun jerking each other off 
but I don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> I don't want yeah. to be a part of it anymore. <laughs> I know exactly what you guys are talking about because I did watch Tusk and I did not like it. Uh, but I know that ringtone noise because it was stuck in my head for, I want to say, a year after I saw that movie. <laughs> I never knew the origin. Now that I know, I'm even more upset. And I'm very happy. It's Ralph Garman <laughs> doing an Al Pacino impression. Yeah. And again, <laughs> and uh, for, got remixed. Just, just, to, just to reiterate, that guy uh, is a, one of the co-hosts of one of Kevin Smith's podcasts. And it's all an in-joke. And I'm even more angry about it now. And I hope to God I never have to listen to that ringtone again because it will get stuck in my head. And I will hate it more. Um, but yeah, so I'm glad we got this out. Uh, this is the Kevin Smith therapy session, and I will I will I will go on record here saying, if Richard K listens to this uh, and he's still friends with Kevin Smith, I think Kevin Smith is the best guy ever. I, I love Kevin Smith. Love him. <laughs> no, love no, that, that's that's also the thing is like that podcast. Like, you, like Marcus, you when you listen to that, you got to admit that like Smith is so supportive and loves that dude. And you can see, yeah. you can feel like a mutual admiration going on. Yeah. Like Kelly talks a lot in that particular podcast about like, oh man, I'm so like in admiration about like what you've created and like the Smodcast stuff and how you've like created a real like sort of brand for yourself. I think it's a really interesting thing that not a lot of people are paying attention to. And Smith has managed to do a very, you know, successful job of that particular yeah. brand. Yeah, it's just gotten sure. to the point where it's like, I wouldn't watch, say, the Stan Lee directed movies if he had made any of those. Because he feels like he's trying to be like a Stan Lee. At this point, it's like, trust me, true believers. I'm like, that's fun. If we're like, oh, he comes in. That's fun. That's great. I wouldn't watch, like, I don't know, his stripperella the motion picture he would have made or whatever the fuck. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He's he's too comfortable doing what he does. He's not going to change. And I it, it's just a big bummer to me. Yeah. I, I I will say going back around slowly to South End Tales and Richard Kelly. Well, we t- we were just about talk- we were talking about Richard Kelly, but like in an early days, like when I was still on board with Smith and what he was doing, what I found cool was I I didn't listen to that episode you guys are talking about, but I did listen to Kevin Smith and we talked about this um, on the Donnie Darko director's cut episode, Marcus. Like there is a commentary track with Kevin Smith and Richard Kelly. Which yeah. uh, parts of it hasn't dated well at all, um, but it, it is interesting. No. It, it is an interesting conversation, and yeah, I, I felt I feel like um, there is that support there too, with like Smith and like he is hanging out with his buddy, but he's also just so enamored with like Richard Kelly's mind, which you could totally tell. And he, he and he's the reason that like those comics for Seth Lincoln's got published. They was through like a friend of his. Mm-hmm. He basically said like, "Hey, you got to publish these." He's a really yeah. good. So he really likes fostering that talent. Even in that podcast episode, there's a whole back and forth about just like man, the, the film industry just has all this bullshit. It's he's basically like he's saying what was happening at the time, but it's become even more of a factor of just like, look, they push product and that's fine, I guess. But like, we're not people that fit that product. And it's even more of a bummer when around the end of that episode, Richard Kelly says, well, you know what? Um, I, I can't wait, especially for uh, hopefully if my film comes together next year, oh. this was in 2010. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what was yeah, that film going to be? Bummer. Does anybody know? I, I think I, I, I imagine it's still the Rod Serling biopic he's been oh. working on for a long time. Okay. Well, I mean, it's either that or like there was the crime movie he was going to do with Gandolfini oh, that yeah. fell apart when Gandolfini yeah, passed that's away. That's what it was. That's yeah. what it was. That That is absolutely what it was. I had no idea that was a thing. That's, uh, yeah. wow. That, that's another podcast for the record. It's just the unrealized projects of Kelly. That you guys could do. We, I mean, we. I, I'm currently in possession of um, the draft he did of Holes, 
uh, the movie that yeah. eventually started. Right, they referenced that on the show yeah. too, which sounded interesting. Was it going to do like a full on like weird Spielberg riff that would have sounded almost like the darker version of Stranger Things? It's just like no, yeah, we're not doing yeah. that. Did, we're Disney. And did you listen to the that that podcast, uh, Marcella? The movie which makers one? thing? No, I did not. I just said this it movie. Didn't. I, I I I did oh, not have time sorry, for it. I, I, he did not I'm give not Kevin Smith that money and did not get any kind of other link from somebody I, allegedly. No. Yeah, no, no. There's no link going around. Again, I, I'm t- telling the absolute truth here. I paid for it with um, an NFT of Kevin Smith's <laughs> um, anniversary <laughs> sex thing tweet that he tweeted years ago about his wife. Right. Um, well, I, I, I just wanted to bring up. He. he it, I think the. I think. He makes the exact same gay joke in that 2010 interview as he did in the beginning of the 2003 or four. <laughs> yeah, because of the Gaylord Production Company. Yes, for the Gaylord yeah, Production Jesus Company. Christ. Yeah, um, yeah, he makes the exact same joke that he did like six or seven years apart uh, on that commentary for Donnie Darko. <laughs> Another great thing he repeats jokes despite the fact that he records every fucking line he says. He just loves repeating mm. jokes. <laughs> So much, but we mm. love Kevin Smith. We love him. We love him to death. Uh, Suchi Bucci's. We love. Yeah, come on, <laughs> come on the show, Kevin Smith. Uh, how how's that going to go, Marcus? If, if we get Kevin Smith on the show, um, I imagine we'd have to pay him a lot of money to do it, <clears throat> and uh, or uh, you could send him more NFTs. I'll send him another NFT. Yes, <laughs> and jean shorts and a jersey. That's how. And I think. Him. I think we would be allowed to say two words, and then he would talk for four hours. Do, so, do you think? Do you think he'll tell that story about the producer who wanted to have mechanical spiders in 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 those movies in the in the Superman movies? Do you think he'll tell that story again? Oh, oh you mean John Peters, who will be portrayed by Bradley Cooper in the upcoming Licorice Pizza? I'm sure he wouldn't. <laughs> I'm sure if one of us says Licorice Pizza, he'll say, "Oh, you want to hear a story about John Peters? Here we go." I've heard that story so many times, like tangent, because like he, he, he uh, I don't want to get into it. You know what? I'm going to stop now. <laughs> I was just going to go into more Kevin Smith talk, but I think, I think that's enough for this episode. We're going to save it for the next episode. Um, he's, not, he's not even in this section of the movie. Exactly. <laughs> he's too he's like a minute before and I got like Vietnam flashbacks. I'm like, oh God, that's right. <laughs> Why don't we just jump into the mood to no let's what well, we yeah let's jump into the chapter itself and then as we talk okay. about the chapter we'll talk more about the movie okay because I still want to pick Thomas's brain on certain things but I think we'll get there uh, as as we go through the chapter all right how's that sound which uh, I w- I want to say for the record with this particular section like I messaged Marcel the moment I finished this particular section I was like I can't believe this bit is here. Because I have so much to say about this particular bit, which I think we, we, if you, g- we gave you a good one, Thomas. Oh yeah, oh, oh you did. We God bless you. Yeah, bless you, good sis. It, it just uh, I, I I actually did not know until Thomas sent me that message because I'm out of the loop on on these things until Marcus or somebody tells me, hey, this is what we're doing, and I and I was like, oh, this is a big one. Uh, there's a lot to say about it. I I did do research, so I'm excited. It's it's a pivotal chapter. Um, we're, we're dancing around it, but we're going to get into it right now. Marcus, do you want to take the reins? We're going to get, we're getting into it right now. There's a little interstitial shot of like a subway or something. Isn't that cool? The monorail, the monorail. What, what city is this by the way? LA. That's right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was a legitimate question. I'm city of angels, baby. That's where we are. <laughs> I forgot. That's where we've been for the I, last hour. <laughs> I forgot I, what movie I, this is. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe this 
this monorail or whatever is mentioned either earlier in the movie or in the graphic novel. I can't remember. I'm not going to look it up. Okay. <clears throat> but that monorail, I assume it's carrying oh, uh, Mr. Takahashi, the prime minister of Japan, into the boarding boardroom. Can I, can I jump he in? he is to... Uh, Marcel, please do whatever the hell you want. Because I wanted to, show, I wanted to say this again. I, I was going to do this again. Uh, I mentioned it in the intro episode. Just to reiterate, this is chapter seven. Time codes. Yep. One hour, twelve minutes, oh, yes. fifty-two seconds through. One hour, twenty-one minutes, fifty-nine seconds. Again, chapter seven, according to or going by the Arrow Blu-ray release of South End Tales. And before we jump into it, Marcus, I want to ask Thomas a quick question: How did you see this, yes. Thomas? I rented it off Amazon, Amazon, which is why I wanted to say that the, the, the time codes are slightly off by a few seconds. Yeah, with like the timeline that yeah. was established to me, which I, I I will comment on some of these things that occur at the beginning and the end. Which I will say the time code you gave me started off with Wallace Shawn's face as he was like sighing. Um, which mm. I just want to say for the record, I love Wallace Shawn referring to himself as the wizard in that particular section, and he looks like he has lollipop gill hair. <laughs> the whole movie. Uh, I think that's an intentional reference. With, with, another genius joke from the genius Richard yes. Kelly. All right, Marcus. So, Mr. Takahashi, the prime minister, prime minister <laughs> of Japan. Uh, he's sitting down in the boardroom with uh, uh, the Baron Wizard von Westphalen and his mother and Zelda Rubinstein's character, Doctor Katarina Kunzler, and uh, the. The president, the the vice president to be's uh, right hand guy, John Larroquette, uh, still alive. Um, oh yes, uh, John Larroquette, he, check. He is yes. still alive. Yes, uh, the New four Abe of them. Vigoda. We gotta keep keeping tabs. <laughs> the four of them years. and Serpentine are setting up a deal with the prime minister of Japan, uh, Hideo Taka, Takahashi, uh, to. Uh, in exchange for having fluid karma go to Japan, uh, they will need to cut off the finger, the pinky finger of Mr. Takahashi. And uh, so he places his finger on the uh, little cutting board there on the desk and uh, Serpentine uh, with a a knife that doesn't look uh, big enough to do this. <laughs> she uh, chops off his entire hand and... Uh, and uh, what what a twist that is! What a twist! Okay, and there was a six inch march, margin of error in the contract, and uh, his hand will be bronzed and put onto a cheap wooden plaque. Uh, further driving home just how evil this man is and how petty he is. Now let's pause here. Uh, now I'm gonna ask Thomas a question, Marcus. If that's okay. Uh, please do, Marcel. Again, it's your show. <laughs> no, it's your show. It's your show. It's it's our show, buddy. It's our show. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna turn to Mar- uh, I'm gonna turn to Thomas now. Marcus, that's okay. Okay, turn back. Yeah, <laughs> please do it. <laughs> You're all in a may. I'll approach the bench to the witness. <laughs> all, right. Uh, all right, so we move on. No, wait, wait, Marcus, stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thomas, you saw? Have you only? And I'm gonna assume the answer is yes. Have you only seen the theatrical cut of South End Tales? Yes. Now, what do you know of the cons cut? Um, I only know that I watched some deleted scenes earlier today that I saw on YouTube, primarily the ones of Jean Garofalo, ah. because I watched this movie last night and I completely fucking forgot until the end of the movie. Like, oh my god, she's there is like an extra, basically. And then yeah. I watched like the scenes that are collected, basically of her moments in the movie. But that's all I really know. 
Marcus has seen the cons cut. I have yet to see it. I'm going to save that for when we cover it in depth after we do these mm-hmm. chapters, uh, the way we're doing them now. But, Thomas, would it surprise you to know that this scene in which a hand gets cut off, the one that Marcus just went through, that scene mm-hmm. in the cons cuts is the first scene of the movie? That's fascinating. Yeah. But I kind of get it in terms of it does kind of establish the tone very quickly. I think a bit more than what is the first scene of the movie in actuality? I'm trying to remember like the is it's like the big exposition dump, right? About yeah. all the with all that stuff. So I think this would have set up the tone a bit better. Interesting take. Uh, I mean, Marcus, <clears throat> you're the one uh, of uh, of the three of us who've who has seen the the cons cuts, but um, I mean, do you think that works like uh, uh, tonally? Like, cause I, cause like when I first when I watched the cons cut, like I watched like the first ten minutes just to kind of get the sense of it. That stopped and figured I'll do this later, but like it seemed odd to me right away because I don't know. I I guess it uh, out of any scene in the movie to choose that scene for the first scene. I guess it, like, Thomas's point does set up the tone pretty well. You see a guy's hand get cut off in the first like two minutes of the movie, but I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. Do you have any feelings on that, Marcus? Um, I've seen the con count once, uh, and that was months ago at this point. <laughs> I don't really remember. <laughs> um, I, I like the way it is now. I, 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 I've only seen the con cut once. I, I have lived with it for whatever, six months or whatever. Um, I have lived with this version of the movie for 14 years or something. Your entire life. So, yeah, my entire, I'm 14 years old. <laughs> and the, the um, I like the theatrical cut more. But it's probably just because I've seen it more times. Like the con cut does have interesting stuff. It has interesting changes, more details, and stuff like that. I don't know. I think I think that's a question that we'll have to ask. Yeah. We'll have to answer uh, on the con episode. So that's something to 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 write. So write that down, Marcus. We're gonna we're gonna think about that more thoroughly <clears throat> when we talk. About if the if I may cut. at least right. sell as someone who has not seen this cut but has this knowledge. I think that'd just be fascinating to just start off a movie where it's like two groups meeting in a boardroom. One group looks kind of weird. The other one looks very business and fashionable. And a hand gets cut off within the first like minute of this first scene in theory. Immediately, I'm just caught off guard. Like, what the fuck is this movie? I gotta know more. Is that a better mood setting than the the birthday party footage with the atom bomb going off in the U.S.? Well... No, you're, you're, you know, that's the, actually the first, but that's a very good point, because rewatching yeah. it, that was a very good tone. All right, I, I retract it. You know, I, my, I retract yeah, my, actually, my case, Your Honor. But no, you have a point. Like, I, I mean, this, mm-hmm. this, this, that doesn't have any absurdity to it. That's, like, deadly dry and serious. Right. Like, uh, the, these kids just got fucking nuked. <laughs> this is like, this is like, uh, who are these, who is this weird asshole who just cut off the the prime minister of Japan's hand just for fun and is being really vindictive about it like that that and it's kind of funny it's it's dark it's weird it kind of it, it kind of does point to the movie a little more than maybe that opening does but i don't know i reinstate my case i'm winning the case <laughs> okay um, continue um, on <clears throat> continuing on uh, whatever the Highlander, he is driving around in the ice cream truck with uh, the knocked out uh, Roland in the back, and the reporter on the news uh, states that uh, 
The temperatures are record-breaking as high as 124 in the Southland area. 124 degrees uh, Fahrenheit here in the States. Interesting. Right, Marcelo? Uh, uh, Are you asking me to convert Celsius to Fahrenheit? I believe this is the first time that... No, I'm not. I believe this is the first time that the word Southland is said in the movie, but it could be wrong. It just kind of stuck out to me as I was watching this. Right. It... It honestly kind of put me back to around, like, I think a couple years after this movie came out was that weird, that one police procedural show, Southland, came out, which is instantaneously mm. how I realized, like, oh, Southland's like an actual place in California, as opposed to just a weird thing Richard Kelly decided to make the title of his movie. <laughs> Do you know anything about that show? I've never heard of this. It was a one season police procedural show that was on, like, TNT. And I only remember the freaking the ads because it was like on some show I was watching regularly at that point. And <laughs> they mentioned Southland and instantly I just thought of Southland Tales, which at that point I was still grumbling like a little baby. About it. It's bad movie. <laughs> I like it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do remember the Southland TV show. I'm looking it up now. It was on for five seasons. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Well, no, but that was it was a case of like it got canceled. That, yeah. And was, then yes. for some reason revived. Right. Uh, uh, it got revived. It went. It w- started it as an NBC show. You're right for one season, and then TNT picked it up for four more seasons. So yes, yes, uh, there's some truth in what you just said, Thomas. So uh, congratulations. Um, I in these cases, yes. <laughs> I have I have a note. I wrote it down, uh, Marcus. Before we before we move on further, I wrote down Lightning, Raiden. Uh, now this is in reference to uh, the actor Christopher <laughs> Lambert, who portrayed, if I'm thinking correctly, uh, who portrayed Raiden, Lord Raiden, in the Mortal Kombat in the Mortal Kombat movie 1995, and he is in South uh portraying Water Mung. Um, now the scene he's in that you just mentioned, Marcus, he's driving his um, truck thingy. I don't know what, what exactly a van, sure. Um, it's, it's an ice cream truck. It's, it's an ice, ice cream, cream truck? truck. I don't know. I've only, yeah. I, There's a giant ice cream truck on the fucking thing. Listen, Thomas, I, the movie. such a great expert. I love that you're doing a podcast. About this movie. You know so many of the details. Earlier, I asked what city this, this takes place in, and it's in the title. And <laughs> now I'm asking what what type of vehicle he's clearly driving. It's an ice cream truck. Um, it's it's raining, and there's lightning and thunder. Do you think this is purposeful? Do you think this is a nod from Richard Kelly saying, hey, we see Christopher Lambert here, we hear lightning and thunder, or we, we, we hear the thunder, we don't see the lightning. Is it a nod uh, to Raiden, the character he played in the 1995 film Mortal Kombat? Marcus? I'm willing to bet it's just uh, continuity, continuation of the rain that has already been established to be happening. Well, but, uh, Marcelo, it's a great theory. No, I have a different thing where it's just, I agree that it's a reference to Christopher Lambert thing, but I don't think it's about Lord Raiden. Because to fit into my 80s theory from earlier, if anyone remembers the cinematic classic Highlander, anytime, like especially at the very end when he becomes the one who has the power, lightning shoots out of him immediately. And he becomes like the master one Highlander of them all. So I would argue it's more of a reference to, from about 10 years prior. Why don't we split the difference... And say it's a nod to both. Let's do that. No, it's a reference to The Sicilian, a movie where Christopher <laughs> Lambert actually plays a Sicilian <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> That's in between, right in the middle of those two movies, where it fits perfectly. Let's split this three ways. 
Uh, let's say it's a reference to those three things. Marcus? <laughs> all right. We're heading on. We're heading on to what 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 we've all been waiting for this, this entire it, time. Every every prior episode of this show has been total bullshit cuz this is this is where the the movie starts and ends. We are for a lot of people. We are at the Fire Arcade. All right. Yes. Yes, everybody. Yes. Ooh. We're at the Fire Arcade. Yes. Woo! The uh, place that's been taken over by the U.S. military on the U.S. soil to be a kind of a base of operations. Is it taken over by the U.S. military? On per- like, is it taken over by the U.S. military or is it taken over by these soldiers to sell their illicit drugs? Is this a question you're or asking? Or sell your thoughts. Okay. Um, yeah. I Okay. <laughs> I have questions regarding some things in the scene. Uh, to ant to, well, we're not we're not talking about those yet. We're talking about this one thing. I know, so. no, but what I'm just saying. Got? I'm I'm just saying. You know, just just expect me not to know a lot. <laughs> is what I'm saying. Okay. Um, to to address your question, first off, uh, is it is it you know government controlled by the military or did these military people take it over? Is that that's what you're saying, right? I'm gonna say that's my question. I'm gonna say this arcade is being taken over by these military men. Um, and it's sort of like one of those, like sort of, um, you know, like like a, like a, a closed curtain sort of thing. Like uh, they're like they're, hey, we're gonna do a list of things in this building, right? Uh, and I do believe that it's like government controlled. The beach is government controlled, right? But they have just like maybe this yeah. one spot where they just like to hang and do drugs. So that's it's a mix of both. Yeah. It's a mix of both. Yeah, yeah, All right, there you go. stupid mm-hmm. question to ask. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Martin Kefauver, a man who we know is important from uh, the TV earlier. He is uh, driving the TV that like said his name and scrambled it up. I think that was in our last episode. Martin Kefauver is being led in here by some armed soldiers to uh, be taken to uh, Pilot Abilene. Uh, it's, a, it's an arcade. We see a bunch of different arcade cabinets. I tried to make them out. If I had more time, I would have been able to hopefully point out more of them. But there's a Harley Davidson motorcycle racing game and uh, looks like some light gun shooters and uh fighting game there anyway uh with uh little uh smiley face <laughs> pilot's like symbol is the smiley face with the scar on it and those are being very cleverly placed around the machines to cover up uh like the sega logo and yeah. stuff he has his own logo um, which is yeah it's it's yeah, funny yeah. yeah i'm laughing yeah. can i ask a question um, now I'm, can I'm, i ask I'm, a question i'm lmaoing yeah what do you got now and Thomas can jump in here and also call me an idiot mm-hmm. uh, when, when I ask this. But Marcus, we've been doing the show for months now. We've been yeah. deep diving into this. Was it mentioned before? I'm sure it was that Timberlake's character, Pilot Abilene, was an, an actor. And he was. I had actor. this exact same question. Yeah. Because <laughs> okay, uh, uh, and, and and Thomas, you should know. Yes, I've been doing this forever. And also, I read the prequel comic, and for some reason, that fact just slipped my mind. But I just, it, uh, Marcus, it came up in the prequel comic. He he was a successful actor. Like uh, I don't know what two thousand seven. Uh, let's say he was a uh, equivalent to Shia LaBeouf at uh-huh. that time. Oh and, no, I don't. Uh, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want him. <laughs> oh wait, <laughs> and he wait, got uh, drafted to the war. I can't believe I I can't escape Shia LaBeouf when I talk to Thomas on the podcast. I, I can't <laughs> right because we referenced the Indiana Jones, the King of yeah. the Crystal Skull. I think that's probably show. why it was in my head. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Uh, anyway, uh, he got drafted into the war and he had to go to the war and he got injured and got sent back to be stateside. Because very much like an Elvis Presley, as it were, like yeah. a lot of people around the time when the draft was actually mm-hmm. happening, you would have actors who would go to war and all this other stuff. I just was so confused because uh, Lou Taylor Prince uh, just oh, sorry, Lou Taylor. I keep I confuse him and Pruitt Taylor Vince, who was another actor so many times with their fucking names. But um, Lou Taylor Pucci uh, is talking about the movies thing, which intensely was just like this is where I guess there there is a connection here, but. I think it also works just because he has the bravado of, like, a mediocre actor who would have been, like, an Elvis. Where he's just basically, like, someone who didn't start, who only started in, like, schlock that people would have seen. Like, he has all of that kind of bravado in the scene where he's talking to him that only comes down when he's like, oh, you're my plastic surgeon's kid. Oh, shit, yeah. Like, said, oh, I said hi. And I'm going to call him because I need to fix this because the war. Um, do I... I I'm going to stop myself from saying this, but I I was going to say maybe I should reread that prequel comic, but no, that's never going to happen. I don't I don't ever want to <laughs> read that. Thomas, don't don't read it either. Please, please don't. Wait, what's what I've heard him reference some things from the comic like particularly um the like Messiah who's like a baby that can't stop farting or something. <laughs> you know, yeah. I I I I also right. have to take that back because Marcus like, didn't we like uh, uh, come around on the comic, or at least you did? Yeah, I, I, I came around on it. at the first time. At the first time, you liked it more than I did, and you said like <laughs> it'd probably be worth it if you're a Southland Tales fan. And I was like, I don't know, it's kind of ruining some of the mystery for me. But as I'm watching the movie more, I'm realizing no, it's not. It's just further elaborating on the mystery that was already ruined for you if you had watched the movie 45 times. <laughs> or like frame by frame day like we have to do for this shit. So no, I, I think it's uh, beyond its art. I think it is a good thing. Um, because the, the art is terrible. But like the 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 the, the Southland Tales prequel graphic novel. I've I've got a nice copy over there. I could see myself cracking it open one day and reading two or three pages until I get bored. Yeah, but. But, but it it is supposedly when when we were first researching this uh, hard to find, but apparently it is sold like on one website for a reasonable price, right, Marcus? So I yeah, it, like directly from the publisher or whatever. Yeah, like, if you buy it directly from them, you can get it at re- MSRP price. But I... you can also buy it on eBay for nine hundred dollars. You could you, you could set up a racket and just sell these on eBay for like a thousand bucks a pop. When I'm sure people like do. Spider-Man No Way Home tickets is the same price. <laughs> <laughs> they they also they also still have in stock the exclusive limited to five hundred. It might have been even two fifty limited to two fifty or five hundred um, hardcover version that I, is still in stock. You can totally buy it. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I, I might buy I, I've said this on other episodes of this show uh, where I was like, you know what? I might buy that. That's something worth getting. I, I might still do it. I, I, I said five minutes ago, I'm never going to read it again. But that exclusivity thing kind of, uh, kind of gets me going. I, I like having things yeah. that are limited quantities. Um, oh, you know what? We're, okay. I'm, I was going to bring up something else, but let's continue because uh, I want to talk about uh, the, the, yeah. the, the chapters, but we're not there yet. We're, we have not yet. Whoa, uh, that's, that's, that's a ways away. That's coming up, but let's keep, let's keep going on this train. Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of cool uh, lines here. So what, what's happening? Martin Keith Alver is getting brought up to trade weed for uh, uh, fluid karma, um, which I don't see how that 
equates really because one is way harder than the other, but I guess it's a big bag of weed. He's brought up to Pilot. Uh, Pilot asks if the weed is kind, uh, and I hope it is, Marcelo. Kind bud. Kind. I, I understand that reference. He's chief in the kind buds. Yeah. Um, his dad, uh, we, we find out that uh, Martin Kefauver's dad is uh, Barry. He's Pilot's plastic surgeon. And then Pilot warms up to him and he offers him fluid karma to inject. Uh, he off, uh, and he has the, I, I've got a lot of quotes written down here that I think they're all great. Like, yeah, this mm. is my favorite written section of the movie. I, I really love it. I, I also wrote down some quotes, which I found interesting. Uh, like going back to this scene, because um, uh, it, it's one of those where, like last time I watched this and last time we did a commentary for this, Marcus, like I kind of just zoomed by this and like didn't really pay attention. Yeah. But now that like I've watched this particular scene like four times in a row today, you know, it's it's I, it, there there are lines where I just didn't didn't really react to them the first time, but now I'm like, huh, these are interesting. And I, I have, I have thoughts about certain things that happen uh, within this chapter that uh, I'll bring up later. But uh, because of like the lines said here, it kind of blows my mind in terms of like what's happening in this movie. Is it, is it this one? Is it green? You dream blue in an hour. You feel brand new. Forget about mellow yellow or agent orange. Cause I'm giving you blood red. Is that one of them? That's yeah. That's 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 kind of what I'm what I'm aiming at. Um, that's, uh, uh, yeah. so I had a slightly different line I wanted to specify. Please say it. Angels under a sea of black umbrellas. Angels right, can see yeah. through time. That because like this movie has so many biblical references. But what I like about so much of this, like what I love about this scene in general, why I think it's kind of like the movie working on like five cylinders. Even when I saw this movie initially and I hated it so much, this was the scene I immediately was gravitating toward, even though I'm like, I don't know why this like music video is here that we're about to get to and all this other stuff. But I think it's a microcosm of what works about the movie, which is just, this is a guy who went through so much horrible shit in the war that was caused by just stupid American negligence. And he comes back and he wants to have this provider of like, yeah, I'm tough. I don't have any, like, pussy emotions. I'm a totally cool guy. I can do whatever I want. And he's so broken as a person. The whole movie is about broken people who have massive bravado about, like, oh, I'm a big movie star. I'm a porn star turned media conglomerate. I was all those other things. They're all really sad, pathetic, broken people. And some of them are coming to terms with the fact the world's ending. Some of them are completely denying it. And I think it's just, like, this whole scene displays that beautifully with Timberlake who's not a great actor, clearly, like in most movies and stuff, but I think he portrays this in a few other movies, but the idea of like having that kind of bravado, but realizing that you're, you don't have shit on you. I think he has that in like inside the Davis, uh, obviously with like, he writes, please, Mr. Kennedy and Oscar Isaac is like, who wrote this fucking bullshit song? I wrote that song. <laughs> I did that. He's hurt. There's that. And then even, this is not a good movie, but I think he's very good in this movie. Bad teacher where he plays the love interest of Cameron Diaz's character. Oh, yeah. And he has a very similar thing where he's kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm a, a straight-up citizen. Like, I'm a substitute teacher. I'm a great guy. And then the moment he's with Cameron Diaz and he lets his guard down, he, like, comes in his pants, basically. <laughs> he's a broken little boy. And I think, like, Timberlake, even before he had kids has this kind of energy to him where he's like, I'm the coolest guy, bringing sexy back, I'm so hot right now, I'm the best. But really, he's like, oh no, you're like a dad and you're not cool. And when you tell him he's not cool, he's just like, oh. 
I guess I'm not. And this movie displays that perfectly, and it works for the rest of the film, I would argue. Yeah, that's interesting, because I also kind of get that from his character in uh, Social Network. And I wonder, it's like, did David Fincher right. see Southland Tales? Like, is, 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 is David Fincher a fan of Southland Tales? This is this is what I'm going to ask David Fincher if I get to interview him. That's the first question right off the bat. <laughs> Have you seen Death and Tales, David? And if so, be on my podcast. Um, yeah, you know. I, I, and, and then you're like, oh, I gotta save him from Alien. I'm gonna save him from being totally screwed over by me. Uh, how was Alien Three? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and and we're gonna get to it when we get into the the you know the musical sequence. But I do like that. I I agree with you uh, for the most part, Thomas. About Timberlake and his acting abilities, but I think he makes it work, and I think it very much plays into his persona. And yeah, I, I again, I can't wait to get into this. Marcus, are we are we going to get into this? I believe I believe yeah, we can skip over some of these quotes I had written down. We 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 can totally get into it. So the scene ends with uh, Pilot grabbing the fluid karma, sticking it in his neck, and uh, passing out, and he wakes up. In, in a drugged out haze of a musical sequence set to all these things that I have done by the killers. Let's talk about it, guys. I got nothing to say. The coolest scene in this <laughs> damn movie, I think, still. Um, we got uh, soldiers in the background playing arcade games. We got ladies, sexy ladies in white wigs and nurse outfits. They're sprawled out on ski tables and they're doing like over hyper sexualized dances with uh with uh pilot abilene they're uh dancing around him anyway yeah g- go on uh thomas why don't you do the honors and 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 uh give us your impression of this of the sequence well it, i said this earlier but yeah this was the scene where like most people even who did not like this movie like reviews, I would see point at this specific scene. Of like, for some reason, there's a killer's music video in the middle of this movie. It's so weird and wacky, and it's so terrible. And I had a similar reaction the first time I saw it. And then, like I was saying earlier, I think this whole sequence is that kind of bravado that like Justin Timberlake's character has of just like, look at me, I'm in the middle of an arcade with all my buddies, and we're playing video games, and all these hot ladies are around. Especially there are these nurses. Almost looked like wartime nurses from like back in the 40s or so around World War II. So it's like, oh, you know, I'm this guy who got really fucked up in Fallujah, but guess what? I'm so cool. I got like out of it and I have this cool scar and I have all these sexy nurse ladies around me. Aren't I great? And I'm playing around with this beer and we're, we're going down the ski ball thing. Isn't this so cool? Isn't this so great? And the moment where like all the nurses are like dancing around him or like in a circle. And then he looks around and he's like, you know what? I'm so cool. I can waste this beer and pour it on my head. Isn't this the greatest? I'm so great. And Timberlake has a moment where he's looking at the camera and then he immediately scoffs back and like adjusts his jaw and looks around at what he's wrought in the middle of this like drug addled sequence. And I think it's like such a beautiful moment that displays everything I've been talking about with like that moment of realization he has this look of just like a boy who's realized that, you know, um, playing pretend isn't fun anymore. I'm too old to do this anymore. I feel like such a sad sack piece of shit who's just like, what am I doing? This is like ch- child's play and it's not giving me anything. And my entire life 
is pointless. This is the guy who's been narrating the whole movie, who, if you, even if you don't like the constant narration, it just is like constant exposition from him. He's the guy who, in theory, is like, oh, he knows everything about this world, right? He's the guy. Like, anytime we're worried about, like, what's going on, I have no idea what's happening, Justin, explain it to me, and I can get a bit of it, at least. And in this moment, where he's, by the way, taking a drug that's a fuel source uh, way before the Dune adaptation was popular, I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> come on. That's a big thing. But, like, he is just realizing, like, it's, it's that moment when, like, after you've drinking, had a lot of drinks or maybe done some substances of other kinds, where, like, you reach the moment of, like, it's not fun anymore, and you're alone with your own thoughts, and you're like, I'm a pathetic piece of shit, and I fucking hate this, and I hate myself, and I can't believe I'm doing this. And it's, like I said, a microcosm of the whole movie, where by the end of the movie, everyone comes to that point in facing the apocalypse and sometimes it's through like a dance later on with Dwayne Johnson Sarah Michelle Gellar or it's like Wallace Shawn like cugging his mother Beth Grant and like putting his head on her breast like everyone comes to that kind of moment and Timberlake is the first one to do so in the middle of this big drug out sequence I think that's what works so well after this fun big vibrant musical number where you're lip syncing it's just like oh this is this was all for nothing and I'm a sad person and I need help and I hate it it's so good very well put very well put. Uh, Marcelo, your, your take? Uh, my turn, yeah. I I think it, it's, again, having watched this now like four times today, over and over, um, I I love it. You know, uh, and credit to Thomas for nailing it. Like, yeah, it does, in this one sequence, sort of like put South End Tales, it, it wraps it up in a nutshell. It's like, it's... It's fun, wacky for a lot of it, but then this this is somber, like really like realization of like oh you know something's going on, something's wrong, and I, going back to Timberlake and his performance in this, and something I wanted to to bring up earlier, but now bringing it up, so here's me saying it. Here I go. I I love that like at this point in his career, it's like what like a few years after he went solo, he's still like a. And this is like one of his first major film roles. Like he's known for being—he has brought sexy back to the people at this yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. He successfully he su- successfully brought sexy back. You know, we have to salute him for that. Like the fact that he doesn't dance at all, really—that he just walks through this, and like every like the the, the these these uh these women in like nurses' uniforms are like dancing around him, and he's just like kind of just walking through, flipping the camera off, staring solemnly at the camera. Like that's a choice by by Kelly. That's a choice by Timberlake. That's a choice by the choreographer to not go where you'd expect it, and to to nail that performance in the end with like him staring at the camera. It works, and I I have notes about this. I can go on and on, but that's those are just my general impressions on it. I think it works brilliantly uh, for what it is because it 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 is like a well produced musical number, but it's very much unexpected. Of what you'd want from like a Justin Timberlake, you know, starring sequence. So, and again, the, the music too. I, I I love that song. I used to play that song all the time when I was in high school. Um, but yeah, I, it, uh, seeing it now, you know, it's it's definitely. I I mean, I wouldn't say it's hard for me to say it's the highlight of the movie because there's a lot of stuff I do. There's a lot of stuff I uh, I do love about this movie, but it definitely is a huge highlight. And I don't think it'd be the same movie it is without it. So yeah, that's my take on the sequence, Marcus. Yeah, I, 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 
I, I think it's a wonderfully beautiful sequence. It's something that I've... I, it's hard to find time to watch a two-and-a-half-hour movie uh, over and over again, but it's not hard to find a two-minute clip and watch this over and over again on YouTube. And, like, that's something I do uh, even still pretty often. Like, it's 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 great to go back to, and it's it's much like rewatching this movie over and over again and it it's something that keeps revealing new stuff to you like it's like like the justin timberlake's lack of uh coherent choreography like you just mentioned marcelo or i i i, I really like the way that uh our last guest sarah sarantino said it um so I'm going to just go ahead and steal her take and mispronounce her name. I'm going to, I, I, I think, uh, she, she state she said that like, this is like the, the American dream that is like promised to him. Like he's, he's got beer, he's got drugs, he's got hot women all around him and he does have these things, but he kind of like at the end, he like realizes how hollow all of that really is. And like, it, it just doesn't matter. Um, and uh i also like his his bloodstained shirt um like that, that that's another indication of like yeah like w- was this worth it was it really worth me getting half of my face blown off by a fucking grenade and i don't know if he killed anybody or not no it was on their first drop that that happens so i don't think he killed anybody but still the the bloodshed is there the the he and, did and especially like in the war and especially as it transitions out over to Sean William Scott, sorry to interrupt, but like as it transitions to uh, Sean William Scott, you see that like it becomes a vest, like almost like a bulletproof vest. That it's like, oh, this blood is what like saved me from horribly dying. So it's just like this is like I, I've in the face of like horrible bloodshed just being spewed onto me. I have like gotten to this point where I'm around all of these, especially like all the dancers are so good. Like I, I, shout out to all those dancers. They're like so phenomenal and so good. And like Marcelo has mentioned, he is just like wobbling around like a fucking frat boy piece of shit. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, we're having fun. Woo. I'm drunkenly swaying, but it doesn't matter. I don't have to dance good for these ladies. They like me anyway. Right. They like me. You all like me. <laughs> don't you? <laughs> it's, yeah. it, there's so much there. It's, it's 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 a really phenomenal sequence like i, I it, it is my favorite scene in the movie i think it is the thing that i think if you showed anybody they would think it's cool i i believe our our past guest uh our, our very first guest uh uh tara they mentioned that uh they they thought that this was just the music video for that song um <laughs> at, for a time that like that's the first thing they ever saw this movie because because they had just seen it on YouTube and thought it that was the song and uh I think that's uh I, I think that's just a testament to how well done it is I have some uh fun facts about the sequence um I I, I looked up the uh um oral history of South End Tales uh, from two websites two websites decided to do an oral history on South End Tales this year um IndieWire and AV Club um, and uh, uh, here's a tidbit. Hey, Marcus, ask me uh, t- a tidbit about the sequence, and, I- and I'll tell you. Ask me. I'm very interested. I, w- I would be very interested if anybody could tell me any tidbits about this, Ooh, uh, how the sequence came together. Marcus, I got one. <laughs> yes? I got one for yes? you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome, Marcelo. Please share. So they had one day with Timberlake uh, to shoot all this, uh, and I think to shoot his entire role in the movie is one day. Um, uh, if I'm reading this correctly, 
You know what? It could either be <laughs> this isn't fun at all. It could either be one day for the sequence or one day overall for Justin Timberlake. So you decide, folks. I, I'd also done some research, oh. and I believe it was one day for his entire thing. Okay, there you go. Because uh, so I also looked up a different source, which Marcus, might got, be just a reference hole to, to all these other things. things. But yeah. do the Marcus, narration. Like I, they they liked him so much that they brought him back to do the narration. I was gonna I was gonna say that they, 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 these are all my. Fun I've said facts. that on a previous episode, man. <laughs> I wanted to bring it up again just so I could seem smart. <laughs> Yes, Marcus is right. Uh, uh, they had one day with Timberlake, and then R- Richard Kelly saw that it was going so great that he said, "You know, let's let's have Timberlake do the narration." Because of that moment when Timberlake stirs in the camera, Kelly is like, "Yeah, that means like him breaking the fourth wall and him doing the sequence so well is why he's the narrator." So that's amazing. And also, like, his blood-stained shirt, that was, like, Richard Kelly on the day saying, oh, we need something, we, we need him in some sort of costume. Here, I'll, I'll do it. And he Kelly just put blood on, like, a white shirt, and that was it. So a lot of this was just, you know, thought of, of on the day and eventually became so pivotal to the entire movie itself that it's 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 one of those, like, moments, like, of, of yeah, of, hey, this is going to be stupid to say, but it's, like, movie magic. It's like imagine if this didn't go as planned. Imagine if like it didn't, if this didn't worked out, it would have been a completely different movie. So yeah, yeah. Um, those are my fun facts on uh, this sequence. I also have fun facts on the ke- the the killer song. Real quick, Marcus, if if you want to know that, or unless you already know. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's it's called all these things that I've done. Yeah, but do you know who? It's on their album Hot Fuzz. Okay, that's I was gonna say that, but do you know who uh, this song is about? Or Hot Mess or something? Hot or fuss. fuss. You're right. You're right. Hot Fuss. Hot Fuzz. I said fuss. Fuzz. Fuss. Okay. Close enough. Yes. Do I know who this song is about? Uh, yeah, that's my question to you. Um. <clears throat> uh, yes. Um. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh. I uh, 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 Brandon Flowers is a uh, g- g- uh, mom. Oh, close! Uh, the television host Matt Pinfield. <laughs> <laughs> of course, as we all know. Yeah, the, the 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 MTV VJ Matt Pinfield, who uh, at the time uh, before they recorded this song, uh, he was a record executive, and he, uh, Matt Pinfield did uh, work for veterans. And that's how uh, the writers of the song said, "Hey, you know, let's let's make a song about that. Let's let's let's, let's, uh, let's support the troops in this way by supporting Matt Pinfield, who also supports the troops." So there you go. That's a fun fact for all you people who know who Matt Pinfield uh, is, a former host of one 120 Minutes on MTV and MTV Two. Fun facts over. I think at the end of your fun fact, you led me to a place that I think would have nicely wrapped this up. But in the middle of your second fun fact, I completely lost what that So it's That's fun. That's what makes it fun. Um, but thank you for the facts, Marcella. Do we want to say anything else about the sequence? I I did briefly oh, have two uh, little oh, details I wanted to bring up. I remembered up. what I was going to say. Wait, wait, wait. You, wait, you, wait. you, you yeah, first, Thomas. Thomas you has first, fun Thomas. details. Well, no, I just two details I wanted to really comment on. One... Um, there's the fog imagery that's throughout this whole movie. And I like the fact that here it's like very clearly fake dry ice to contrast with the actual fog that's looming outside. 
So, like, it looks just like, oh, this is, like, the cool version. This where it's, like, dry ice and it's all, like, mysterious and it's great, isn't it? As opposed to the looming oppressive fog that's, like, coming out at any point. It's going to murder everybody. Very John Carpenter-esque, as it were. And then, two, is the fact that, like, we mentioned this whole thing about, like, oh, did the army guys, like, take it over? And, like, did they take over the beach? And then the soldiers took this part over specifically for the drug dealing. I think that theory works, is, like, even more supported by the fact that they all decided, what are we going to take over? An arcade. A place full of, like, these fake guns that we were kind of indoctrinated into being, you know, sort of, like, people who love the idea that guns are power. Guns can, like, shoot down any, like, enemies that are in front of us. So we totally would want to eventually let her go to war after a certain point. It feeds into the kind of the adolescent uh, kind of mentality of, like, a Timberlake, where it's just like, oh, you know, what's the best fun place all of us men who are manly men can go to? An arcade for adolescents. Yeah, no Chuck E. Cheese here, because we're adults. (laughs) We don't need Charles entertainment cheese here fuck that we're gonna take over this pure arcade and we're fucking cool even though we're very sad boys we are not men we are very sad boys who want to go back to a point where we didn't actually murder people yeah that's a that's that's another really great point thomas thomas good job (laughs) my work here is once again done (laughs) don't leave the episode i was just we're not done yet (laughs) i I was just going to talk generally about it and just say like like Marcelo, in the previous episode, you said uh, when referring to this scene, you said there's a scene in Legally Blonde too, where like oh, yeah. the ladies in like the hairdresser things at the at the salon were like uh, they like all cross their legs at the same time or something like that or stomp their feet or whatever. And uh, you wish like the movie had like taken the risk and just gone for a full like musical moment in the middle of their movie. And I want to say still that I think. I really wish more movies would do that. Like I, on that Smod Castle Smod movie thing episode, uh, Kelly specifically stated like he knows his movies are not like ever going to be successful because he just he's kind of making what he wants to make. Like he's not trying to focus test his movies to hell. He's like he's making his vision or whatever. And like I, I just wish more filmmakers had the ability to have that power or if they do have that power, if they took that power to do something as bold as put this like music video, like Monta uh, music video, uh, musical moment in the middle of their movie, like completely out of nowhere. Like it's, it's such a wonderful choice. And I, I, I wish that happened more in movies, you know? It doesn't have to specifically be a musical, but that would be nice. It's interesting because in one of the um, uh, oral histories I read, I think somebody mentioned that there were going to be more musical numbers in this. But of course, um, Kelly and everybody had to pare it back because of the budget. But that would have been a wild thing if like, this was a full-on musical. Um, that would be very cool. That, that, well, and, and that's also, by the way, what one of the key evidences to where I would say that he was influenced by a Terry Gilliam. Because Gilliam has had that plenty of times in his movies where there will just be a random sort of musical moment that pops up, usually to portray, like, excess or people who are just, like, in a diluted state of what society actually is around them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see that um, comparison. Marcus? Yep. Okay, so uh, I think we are going to wrap the fire arcade up, unfortunately. And we are going to move on to what is what little remains for the rest of this uh, section of the film. 
Um, we are going to, we first see Roland. He wakes up after being tased by uh, Zora, wakes up in the street, uh, oh. ro- uh, pilot Abilene. Sorry. Maybe I should have waited till you finished your thought, but, um, I have a question. Do you think, oh, this may be very obvious, but do you think, um, Sean William Scott's character here who wakes up in the alley, do you think he... He, like he he saw that sequence play out. Do you think he dreamed that? Do you think he had this connection with? It's possible. Pilot Abilene, because it's like, because yeah, yeah. Because when you're on um, the 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 that that drug, you're supposed to connect with people, right? Like, and they have that bond. Yeah. So that that was my thought watching it this time. I go, huh? And, and also, um, um, Abilene says something to that effect. Like, uh, he says, like, oh, yeah, he says. My face haunted his dreams. Yeah, and that's when he wakes up. So my thought watching this now was like, oh, did 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 he dream that sequence? And do they both have this shared dream? Maybe. But anyway, that, that, I, that's my thought. I, I had that initial first thought as well, but then I also remembered that Roland is the one that threw the grenade that injured right. um, Abilene. So I'm assuming it's just mainly a reference to that, but it could be a dual reference like that he does see Abilene. Uh, he both relives that moment, but he also is still affected by the fluid karma. So uh, I guess well, he is still. Well, seeing that actually is a question. Him. Sorry, that was a question I actually did have because I thought, isn't it the other Sean William Scott who's in the ice cream truck that took the drug, or is it this one? I think both of them. Both of them. Okay. Oh, no, you're right. Yes, they have both yeah. taken the drug at this point. Fair enough. Right. And what, what I I do also just like about this particular element of it is. Like the one that we mentioned, some of the music stuff earlier. That how the the killer song transitions between the Moby score at the beginning, like kind of uses as a fade out and fade in with that particular thing. I like how it kind of transitions over as Justin Timberlake's looking so sad and pathetic. You have Sean William Scott on the ground and just waking up like, oh, what the fuck's happening? How to get out of here? Like it's a mutual moment of like two people who are once again like one a soldier, the other one a cop who are both guilty of, like, horrible things, kind of waking up to a realization of, like, I am lost and I don't know where I am. One, very literally, and the other one on, like, a meta-textual level. I just realized that this may be a recurring question I have for the guests who watch this movie with us, but uh, can you explain what happens in the desert, like, pre... Uh, like, the events that happened before the movie begins, like, when, like, a uh, 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 boxer and... I forget which one, Roland or Ronald, like when they split, like, can you explain what happens uh, there in that desert? Um, well, I mean, they kind of bring this up later with like the Dwayne Johnson character. I, I feel like, and maybe this is me just kind of trying to grasp onto anything to have that kind of connection. I think they're just like different past versions of each other. I think where like one of them is because they explain with Dwayne Johnson later they're like oh this is the body of the past version of yourself and you're from like 45 minutes in the future or whatever right. when you travel back so I think it's a similar thing where I think Sean William Scott and him the two Sean William Scotts are like the same guy from different points in the time stream but it's like it's like the one question I have like in this whole movie that well, I mean I have okay I have a few other questions but not as as like permanent as it not as like I really want the answer to this because it doesn't make sense in my head. Like, what exactly happens? Again, you don't need to answer because I don't think that I don't even think Marcus knows at this point. It's like how, like, why, like, not not really why they were there, but like how exactly they, like, who attacked their car or like what caused the explosion. 
yeah, uh, that to me is like the biggest mystery of this, and I don't even think the prequel comic answers that. So, I, I, I always want to pick people's brain and like, like, what do you think that happens in that moment before you know we we meet these characters? But Marcus, um, uh, I was going to ask Marcus. I mean, Marcus, you don't even know really yeah. what happens in that desert, right? Uh, no, I, I don't remember if it's ever stated whether like why. Sean William Scott and The Rock are in that car in the first yeah. place. That, yeah. that, that, that is the biggest mystery part to me. I, I assume it's Serpentine that blew the car up and tried to kill both of them, but only got Dwayne Johnson. I don't know how uh, The Rock is, or how uh, Roland escaped, I guess, because he ended up in the hands of the neo Marxists. Because uh, that we. In the graphic novel, the, the, the car that they were driving gets um, found gets recovered by um i think it's lara cat's people and then it and uh we see like they're kind of working together and uh it ends up in uh that that body ends up with uh kevin smith's character who i I really wish i could remember the name of but simon theory simon theory yeah the body ends up with simon theory so perhaps they did it I don't well, know, man. It, I, don't it, yeah, know. I think I I want to say that like I I get having that impulse of like what exactly like happened here and what exactly is like the the details of the actual plot of it. But what I kind of like about at least watching Southland Tales is like I agree. I think that plot is so like convoluted because there's so much going on. But what I really glommed onto this time is some of that emotional stuff. Clearly from like what I ranted about with fucking Timberlake earlier is that whatever happened in like with the car and actually how it blew it up is less important to me than. What I think probably happened before that's more crucial is just the detail of, like, they probably had a very similar conversation to the one that Dwayne Johnson has later with the other Sean William Scott that happened, like, earlier in this movie that gets, like, really weird and racist and just stupid shit happens. Like, just a cyclical thing happened of just, like, despite whatever details are, like, big and exuberant and weird and off-kilter, I'm sure they had a very similar conversation to what they had before with different details because things are cyclical and America's in a death spiral and that's what's kind of going on. So I think that's what's more important to me is I kind of look back at that, what could potentially happen at that moment, and it's just more of like, oh, the same bullshit that is just going to end up getting everybody killed in the horrible apocalypse. Yeah. That's yeah. actually a good point. Yeah. I, I don't think I ever thought about that. That's that's actually... Yeah, because like, yeah, they're, they find themselves in cars... Uh, and and we see that car scene, and it's a very weird car scene. Uh, 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 things are said, uh, n words are thrown around. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it would. What uh, word, Marcel? Um, <laughs> Don't please. Uh, I believe <laughs> this word. <laughs> but but imagine like that same. Now imagine I'm imagining that same sort of conversation happening in the scene we don't see. You know, before their car blow ups. Uh, before their car blew up. So that's interesting. Um, but anyway. Um, that for me will be, will always be the biggest mystery, uh, but we can move on and and try to close this up, Marcus, and move on to here it is, everybody, chapter six, chapter six, wave of mutilation, wave of mutilation, wave of mutilation, uh, chapter six, our final our final chapter point thingy, and we still have an hour of the movie left to go. <laughs> so the first. The first two were paced out about 40 minutes. This this one's got a whole ass hour. And what a finale it will be as we keep talking about it. The very last thing that happens in this section, uh, we, get a, we get a nice close-up of the fluid karma-making machines out in the water. Um, 
the CGI is that it's pretty good actually. Like they do a good job hiding it with like the like kind of watery, foggy shit and the lights. Um, and we and we're explained by Pilot Abilene for billions of years. The daily cycles of ocean tides have influenced patterns of hunting, breeding, and feeding behavior among the developing life forms of our planet. And then we see the machine that is throwing all that out of whack. And we also get introduced to the Trier Mega Zeppelin as the hangar doors open up for it to rise later on. But we don't get to see it rising quite yet. A tease for later episodes. That's the end. What's going to happen? We'll find out in a future episode. Um, I have a question for Thomas. Um, mm-hmm. Thomas, how do you feel about this starting? This movie starting with like chapter four, and then five, six, and and you not knowing what happens in chapters one, two, and three. Like, uh, like maybe going back to your first showing, like your, your first watch of this. Was that a reason that this made that this movie made you mad? And how do you feel about it now? Fucking hated it the first time. I was just like, "You pretentious piece of shit! How dare you do this?" It was just like, "Oh, there's a whole prequel coming. You gotta buy." When I was like. I don't know, a teenager, I'm just like, this is bullshit, I hate lacrosse media, who's gonna, like, watch a bunch of TV shows and read a bunch of comics to catch up on the story? That's dumb and it'll never happen. And so much egg is on my face. But, what I, like, going back to it now, I mean, I still have a bit of that residual in terms of, like, I don't know, and he can't always even said this, he's like, I kind of put the audience at a disadvantage by doing that, and he kind of regrets that element of it. Um, to a certain degree, even though he still loves this movie, obviously, he's kind of said some things in some of these recent interviews, ever since, like, the Arrow Blu-ray came out, about that kind of thing. Um, but I don't mind it as much necessarily now, except just, like, well, this clearly feels like a sophomore effort decision. But at the same time, I still like the idea of, like, if we didn't have actual chapter titles... I think it might even work better just to implement that. Like, this is such a huge world, Some a lot of things happen before this, and Spoilers, not a lot happens after. <laughs> um, but I, I like that uh, the, the the implication of just like, this is a huge world and you're just entering into it. I don't know if we needed titles necessarily to display that. But um, at the same time, I still think it's interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you ask me, it's... It, yeah, it, I, I, there is something that Kelly says in one of these oral histories that kind of made me think. And also, you kind of... Uh, 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 kind of alluded to it too, Thomas, about how, yeah, nowadays it seems kind of like the thing to do to have these like expanded worlds and like um, uh, comics and books connected to, to these things. And I see Kelly was making an, an attempt at it. Um, and also, like now, uh, with the Matrix Re- Resurrections coming up, like I was totally on board with like everything that was going on with like the sequels in 2003. Like the Animatrix, uh, uh, the video game, um, all this like this like expanded world that was going on, um, and I, in retrospect, I kind of like that there is this comic book that sort of like tried to go for something like that, and uh, even though about an hour ago I said never read that comic book, but I like the attempt, uh, uh, and uh, I'll give Kelly credit for that. Um, but anyway. Uh, Marcus, do you know offhand? That, uh, do you know offhand the, the the first three chapter names? Uh, no, I don't. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> I, I could go over them and grab my book, but I'm not going to. I I I, I want to say, Marcelo, the uh, that uh, that episode of that the the podcast that you paid for with the tweet NFT 
it's it's a. Uh, he kind of explains that like it, this wasn't his plan from the beginning to make the graphic novel in the movie. It's just like he had too much stuffed into the movie to make it feasibly work, and he didn't want that to go to waste. So he kind of made the graphic novel as like a as like a just a, a place to put the rest of that shit. Um. So anyway, there's that, and also Marcelo. Um, I've got kind of a bomb to drop on you here, I think. Oh, no. So, at the end of that episode, um, they, they, go to, they go to questions from the audience. It's, it's, it was recorded in front of a live audience. Oh, okay. Um, Pre-COVID. They go to... Yeah, 2010. <laughs> about, ele- about 10 years before COVID. The ancient times, the ah, long ago. I see, I see. Um... And the the asker gets up there. He coughs into Richard Kelly and Kevin Smith's mouths, <laughs> and he asks this question, which is, um, uh, "What's up with those balls?" Oh, oh my God! Yes. Uh, uh, th- I mean, Thomas, you you may have heard us talk about this, and folks listening at home, Marcus and I have had a running thing on this series about the balls, and Marcus had this this explanation of what the balls. Are, and now I'm going to hear it from the horse's mouth right now. Not not the horse. The horse is not Marcus. The horse is Richard Kelly. But Marcus is the messenger. Marcus, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Richard Kelly's explanation of the balls, he says it's in the prequel graphic novel, but it's like barely mentioned. I don't remember it whatsoever. But apparently those balls are kind of like a power converter uh, harnessing like the energy of the the Wi-Fi signal of power from the fluid karma balloons or whatever. What? So like they are like an extension of the fluid karma like like Wi-Fi signal that you need to like have more power in a specific area. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, and so they're kind of used throughout the movie. I, 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 the the breadcrumb trail idea. He never mentioned that in his answer, but the breadcrumb tri, breadcrumb blah blah bread, <laughs> trump, cred trump cred trail trial come trial bread breadcrumb <laughs> the breadcrumb trail is there, and he and uh, anyway, the, so, so like. He thinks that it like Zelda Rubenstein's holding one. Uh, Dwayne Johnson holds one at multiple points. There's one in the office of uh, of uh, Nana Mae Frost. These people are holding these, and it's kind of like a symbolism of the power that they hold. Interesting. A liter- like like a literal symbolism. Yeah. Huh. I don't know if I like yeah. that answer, but. I guess I have to take it. Okay. Well, <laughs> hey, you can you can hear it from the man himself if you listen to that episode you paid for. So like, I'll listen to it. He, he explains it better than I just did. Uh, Death no. of the author doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's not that I don't like that you said it, Marcus. It's just that like I kind of li- I kind of liked the pre- the breadcrumb trail that we were like. I, I think I think it, it can be both, Marcel. Okay. Okay. Fair. Fair. I, you know I don't like compromise, Marcus. You know I like to have it my way. <laughs> Um, <laughs> speaking of compromise, Marcus, is it, is it okay if I ask Thomas one more question and then we can let him go? Man, I, I really don't want to do it. Thomas has been so great. I don't want to let him go. <laughs> you want to keep him here you're, for another hour? Forever. <laughs> <laughs> now, 
Thomas, one last question. What do you think mm-hmm. about the ending of Southland Tales? Oh, um, oh God, such a <laughs> such a big question. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it, it kind of just boils down to like what we're what I was talking about earlier with like the whole thesis of what the movie is. Um, before I even do that, I just wanted to have a few stray thoughts on like yes. the last bits of this Let's section before like I, I deliver a final thing. Um, one fluid karma machine looked a lot like one of the space station things from contact. I thought they remind okay. me a lot of like near the end of that movie where they have the big spaceship. I, maybe some kind of influence. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, to, the aerobics thing that happens with Miranda Richardson, I think is very funny and feels even more like hitting satire of like weird modern offices where it's like, we're in a team build by doing a big aerobics thing in the morning. And it's just like, Oh, this is like kind of <laughs> shallow and shitty and doesn't actually do anything to build up a team in any way. Yeah. Uh, and then the opening of the Zep one just kind of reminded me of like, we, we need more Zep ones in movies. Zep ones are like the perfect representation of excess and wealth. That's just like, we're going to go in a balloon in the sky. <laughs> That's how we're going to like lord over everyone. A big balloon in the sky, full of helium. We're high and mighty over everybody. doesn't matter. And I thought the last time I can remember a, a Zeppelin playing a pivotal role in like some kind of a big movie is in Up. It's the lair of the villain played by uh, Christopher Plummer. Ah, yes. And I'm like, we need, more, we need more Zeppelins in movies. Come on, Hollywood. I don't need more CG fucking superheroes fighting each other. I need Zeppelins. Ah, Zeppelins. Uh, you know, I I do wish for Kelly to make movies, period. And I, I hope he puts Zeppelins in all his movies from here on in. I do hope so. Yes. That's my one wish. Yes, but, but sorry, to go back to your question. Oh, what yes. What I think of the ending of Southland Tales. Um, what I think of the ending of Southland Tales is very much what I said earlier about the Timberlake thing, where it's everybody coming to, like, having a come-to-Jesus moment and realizing of just like, well, the world's ending, and neither we're reverting back to childhood, or we're having like some kind of last embrace with each other. Everything's falling apart, or we're falling off ice cream trucks, you know, as you do in your last moments. But um, with the Sean William Scott, him looking at himself and realizing that he's like the epicenter of the wormhole that will destroy all of living things, there's just a weird kind of smile on his face that it's just like, oh my god, I've caused so much destruction, terror, and... I'm terrified and petrified, and I'm looking at myself who's wounded, a mere image of myself, and it's like so much horror and terror in my face, but also, it's kind of fucking fun, right? Hmm. It's kind of fucking fun that I'm like ending the world right now. Yeah. And the movie ends. I think that's a really interesting ending to where, like I said, I have a lot of issues with this movie we didn't get into. I talk, We're talking about like my favorite part of the whole movie. There's a lot of stuff before this, a lot of stuff after this. I'm not huge on, including the bit that was actually in the time code on my Amazon version where Cherry O'Terry is like trying to look at the door as Sarah Michelle Gellar is trying to come in and like has to jump up, which I think is just a cute moment. And also makes me realize like, man, Cherry O'Terry got a raw deal after SNL. She's very funny. Deserved a much better career after SNL. Yeah. And then we see what's happened with Molly Shannon. She's blown up while Sherry O'Terry is. What is uh, the deal with Molly Shannon taking all of Sherry O'Terry's? Yeah, Clout. it's it's just it's ridiculous. It, it's absolutely absurd. For the record, I love Shannon, and I think she deserves all that. Oh clout, no, 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 Sherry no, can no, get a no, bit no, of that no. clout. Oh, th- no, 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 no. Thomas, <laughs> I regret having you. On. <laughs> We're yeah, an we- anti-Molly Shannon podcast. <laughs> oh, I mean, I really like the movie where she played Jesse Plemons' mom who had cancer, but fine. No, I guess she's terrible. Then. 
Imagine Sherry O'Terry in that role instead. That's what we're saying. Okay? Yeah. Probably we've also been great. I'm not... Look, <laughs> I was saying Sherry O'Terry deserved to be in her career. Look, I think she deserved to be in, like, something else in, like, Grown Ups 2, which is the only other fucking movie I think she's been in <laughs> in this time. She's, like, had such a raw deal. But regardless, regardless, um, there's, like I said, so much stuff before and after this chapter we're talking about that I have issues with and I also love. I have so many mixed feelings about this movie overall. But that kind of, like, ending punctuation point is part of what makes me respect this movie enough to where I would never do a podcast like this. <laughs> We're going through in detail about Southland Tales. No offense, because it just seems like this is too daunting a task to do, even in, like, these chapter-segmented things. It feels like even if we were to do, like, a one, like, every minute of fucking Southland Tales podcast, it would just still not be enough to go on and on about it. But now it's become a movie where I'm like, I need to watch this, like, every three or four years or so to, like, oh, get reacquainted with it. I think that's what it's become. Like, I don't know if I'll buy the Arrow Blu-ray, but in another, like, three, around the election cycle <clears> next <throat> time, I might watch it just to kind of make some sense of the chaos that's going on. And I think that's what it's kind of there for. It's like a movie I can go back to, but my brain needs to, like, power down for a bit before I can, like, jump back into it. Just, like, I need to rest for a bit, and I will revisit Southland Hill. So I think, for all that, I think that's maybe an answer that Richard Kelly would find more fascinating than I totally love it or this is a piece of shit movie. Maybe. Richard. Yeah. Uh, before you appear on their show, appear on my show. Fuck them. My show's better. <laughs> Come on. Well, Marcelo, we've converted another I one. I know. I was going to say, uh, uh, Thomas answered a follow-up question uh, I had, which which was, would you see this again? And the answer is, yeah, in, in about three or four years. Um, and, yeah, we got another one, Marcus. I mean, I count Sarah's as a win because she didn't say she hated it. Okay? Yeah. So that's a win in my book. Yeah. Um, and she also compared it to the Green Knight. So there's that. And Green Knight's great. Um, so, so far, we, we uh, this is, uh, we're converting, uh, this is the church of South End Tales right now. Okay. Uh, this, that, that's what this podcast has become. So with every new member, our, our, our forces are, are gathering, they're growing. And eventually, uh, I mean, Marcus knows the plan and I know the plan. I'm not going to say it now. But you have to wait and see what we'll eventually do in the end of all this. Um, Thomas, thank you. Um, this was this was fun. Uh, Marcus, do you have any last oh, thoughts? Yeah. You were a great guest. Marcus, thank uh, you. No, Thomas, you were a great guest. Uh, you, you gave me a lot to think about going forward, as so far all of our guests have. I, I, I quoted Sarah today. I mean, uh, uh, I really love bringing all these people into this and uh, – smart fun people and they they always have uh, interesting insights that as many times as i've seen this movie uh I, I i never think of them or i think of or i'm thinking of those things may, maybe in a different way and you help me reframe it and uh as you thank you for that thomas uh you have been a very very good guest uh this movie uh rocks Justin Timberlake. No, this movie uh, has the rock. best performance. Uh, this is The Rock's best performance. This is Sean William Scott's best performance. This is uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer's best performance. This is uh, Sherry O'Terry's best performance. Molly Shannon should not be working ever again. She should take all of her jobs. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we do not do plugs on this show. No, we, we um, do. It is, it is an adamant rule that no, we don't. For the guests, we do. But I think, yeah, I think for our guest being so good okay, and he, being such a good yeah, little boy, we do allow him. To, we do allow him to plug whatever he wants to plug. So, Thomas Mariani, go ahead. What do you, What do you want to plug? 
such a good little boy who's that little sad boy <laughs> in arcade. <laughs> Not at all, no. Um, well, thank you. I had a lot of fun being on the show. Um, if you like my ramblings I had on here in the middle of this totally tightly scripted show, that's 100% doesn't have any diversions usually, um, you can find me over at Double Edge Double Bill, which we mentioned three hours ago when we started this episode, <laughs> um, which is uh, my podcast I do with Adam Thomas, uh, fellow Thomas, where basically uh, we're a part of the ESO network, and every week we pick a random good and bad movie relative, you know, sometimes the good movies turn on us, sometimes the bad movies get a bit better, kind of like Southland Tales did for me. So it depends on the perspective. Like, we recently had Marcelo on, as we mentioned, uh, for the Spielberg episode where we talked about um, Catch Me If You Can was the good one we picked, and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and Indiana Jones, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was the bad one. Um, we had Incorrect. Sarah on. No, what you know what we I if you listen to that episode I think I have a bit more like I, I, I was I listened to the episode I I, I don't know I, I I hold a higher opinion of it than even you okay well fair enough but um, um and we had Sarah as uh, your previous guest on for a film noir episode uh, where we covered. Um, the uh, double indemnity was the good one, and Dick Tracy was the quote unquote bad one. But once again, we uh, that episode will be coming out, and it'll change a bit of perspectives. Um, and Thomas, uh, we can I ask you a quick question: How often did yes. Sarah bring up Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, there is one drop of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Okay, yeah, because I think she's like, contractually obliged to bring up Who Framed Roger Rabbit <laughs> on every episode she's on. On every podcast, uh, I signed her to that contract. Look, uh, me yeah. and Zemeckis were just like we gotta have her mentioned every time. Um, but uh, yeah, the double edge double bill. We're at, at DEDB Pod on like Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that. And we also have a Patreon where for just one dollar you get to vote for movies or topics we cover. And also we do bonus podcasts like we recently would have put out in anticipation of the Matrix Resurrections. Uh, one where myself. Adam and a friend of ours, Rafe Telsch, who wrote a whole college thesis about the Matrix trilogy, talk about the Matrix trilogy. Um, and we'll also have a show called On the Edge of Relevance, where we do like modern movies that are coming out in theaters and on streaming and stuff, where we'll talk about resurrections probably around Christmas time and stuff like that. And that's all you get it for one dollar. Brilliant. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Everybody go do that. Do that. I, I listen to uh, Marcelo's episode of the show, and you know what? The, the, the podcast gives gets a gets the h a n a it gets the hannah seal of approval approval <laughs> double edge double bill <laughs> a badge of honor sir thank you so much the hannah seal of approval uh thank you marcus <laughs> i am loopy at this point um uh i have to apologize to thomas for this being so long um, and I have to say, you're welcome to the listeners for all the content you've just listened to. Um, thanks, everybody. Marcus, it's time for our catchphrase. Here we go. Let's embarrass ourselves together. <coughs> Three, two, one. Have, have a nice a apocalypse. Nice Bye. Such a Googleable name. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> the worst name. <laughs>